Hey there, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of The John Campus Show. This was the episode that streamed on Monday, April the 13th, titled AMC Theaters Preparing for Bankruptcy. Will theaters ever be the same? And we are awfully glad that you are listening to this podcast. But remember, if you want the full experience of The John Campus Show, make sure you also subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash John Campia. And remember, the live questions part of the show is not just for those watching the YouTube channel. You can send in a question to be read during the live questions element of the show by simply going to our tip page at streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You can find the link to that in the description of this podcast below. But for now, let's get to the show. All right, listen, guys, we've got a whole hell of a lot of stuff to talk about here today, and I trust that you guys are having a good, awesome day doing the four main things, staying smart, staying safe, taking care of yourselves, and taking care of the people around you as well. But we got a number of things we're going to talk about here today, and the first thing we're going to talk about is this. Now, Rob, one of (laughs) the most anticipated movies of the year amongst a lot of sci-fi geeks and cinephiles, and I know you in particular... Uh, that we have been waiting for and very anxious about is the Denis Villeneuve's new film, Dune. We've been all very excited about it. The casting has been incredible. They went and got Timothy Chalamet to be the lead, who I believe is at some point going to be the next Daniel Day-Lewis. You got guys... Uh, you got Just all the cast filling out is incredible. What they've done there has looked great. Rob, but I like to use a word called tangibilization i I have a Mm. word i like to use called tangibilization which is you know when something happens that just makes the theoretical now feel real and rob we got our first little bit of tangibilization today as the first image it's just a simple image but the first image of timothy chalamet as paul atreides has come out and we see him on his home world there uh, in the image, which looks absolutely great. And it's just something about, look, it's nothing special, Rob. It's nothing special. But it's just, again, that, oh, look, this thing's real. And it's so good, and especially as a movie fan right now, because we know there are bigger, more important issues going on in the world. But here on this show, we talk about the movie. So that's the little box we talk about. But it's so good in a movie world right now where everything's about this movie's now been delayed and this is now put off and this uh, to talk about, look, Here's this movie, and it's coming, and here's the first images of it, and it just feels great. Rob, you had a chance to take a look at this image. As somebody who's even like vastly more looking forward to this movie even than I am, what do you think about the image, and how does it make you feel? Dude, seeing Paul Atreides on the beaches of Caladan, man, it, 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 it makes me all ghibli. Um, <laughs> and, and you know what I really liked about this? It's it's counter to what you would think would be the first image that they release. Now it's this image was in Vanity Fair, and they're going to have ongoing coverage leading up to the film. But the fact that they're dropping this in April leads me to believe that they know that they have something very special, and to start that hype machine in such a classy way, and to give you, you know, it's just a dude on a beach. But there's things that are flying in the background, and and that would tell, which tells you that it's sci-fi. But I look at this, and I'm like, you know what? I so can't wait for this, and how they're going to release these images. Because by the time they get to Arrakis, Dune, the images are going to look a lot different. And I like this. I think this was. It shows that they have a subtle way of slowly unveiling this. This has much more of a you know, more of a Game of Thrones. It looks like maybe mm. Paul Atreides was up in the north, you know, and, and maybe he's at Dragonstone. It's an image that people can look at and relate to. You know, it's not just, here's a sandworm. And I really thought that this was a great way to start 
for our first glimpse of this movie, first official glimpse. Bring it on, son, as John Schnepp would say. I, I, I'll tell you two reasons why I love this picture. Number one is that, you know, I, I was just describing in the midst of right now, all movie fans are in the thing, oh, this has been delayed and this has been bummed. But just have some something good news. Like, hey, here's something to look forward to, guys. I love that. The other thing that I love about this selection of image is the fact that if you know a lot about Dune, you know, like this Paul Atreides dude, he's going from this oceanic world. And we're knowing we know he's going to Arrakis. He's going to a desert world. Yeah. And ju it just sets up this this you know, life shift that he's going to be facing in his hero's journey uh, as well. So I love the picture. Question here is, guys, for you. Have you had a chance to see this first picture? It's just a picture. It's just a still image. We know we don't want to overhype it, but it does get us kind of excited. What did you think about it? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. One more thing to talk about here off the top, and that is this. You guys may have seen flying around or maybe in your social media. I know I myself saw some people talking about it in the live chat, you know, an hour or two before the show even started today. You may have been hearing the talk that Bob Iger has come back to Disney and Bob Iger has retaken over the CEO role at Disney. That's what some people are talking about this morning and all this kind of stuff. I want us to talk about that and look at that a little bit more specifically. Um, First of all, there are there is a story going around, but it's just an interest story. See, here's the thing. Bob Iger has been stepping up because you remember last week he was he spoke on behalf of Disney saying that, you know, yeah, we, we put out um, we're going to be putting Artemis Fowl straight to v, uh, VOD. We might do the same with some smaller films moving on. We're not sure. It's like, wait, why is Bob Iger making Bob Iger making these announcements? He stepped out. See, is he coming back? And a couple of, you know, big, bigger outlets like the Hollywood Reporters running stories that Bob Iger is he's actively helping Disney amid the virus crisis. And here's why I thought it was important to do this as an off the top here this morning. There are a number of people, again, who have taken this and have interpreted it as Bob Iger has, number one, come back to Disney, when in reality he hasn't gone anywhere. Uh, but number two is that he's now taking over Disney again. Well, actually, that's not true either. See, here's the thing. What we have tried to explain to people before is this. Bob Iger has not left Disney. He never did leave Disney. See, Bob Iger has held two of the biggest positions in Disney. He's held the CEO position, which is the one we all talk of him about. But on top of that, he has also been the chairman of the board, which is, in fact, the most powerful position to hold at Disney. The CEO is the person who runs the day-to-day -day operations of the company. But the CEO, his bosses are the board. And the head guy on the board is still Bob Iger. He didn't go anywhere. He's going to retire at some point. But he didn't go anywhere. He still had that position. Also, he has not resumed. It's important to notice. You go through the actual stories. Bob Iger has not resumed the duties of the CEO. He's just stepping in because, listen, Rob, in a time like this, when there's a lot of panic going on amongst investors and things like that, you don't want the new guy talking. You want the guy who has been there with you, who is your calm, soothing North Star. Ah, oh, Bob Iger's here. Everything feels better. You know, if you're if you're a shareholder, that's what you want. And that's all Bob Iger has done here. He's just simply saying, hey, I'll step up and be more the face of the company right now 
as the company is going through a bit of a crisis. I'm still here. I'm still chairman of the board. I can't just dump all this on Bob Chapek right now. I've got to step in and help, and I'll still kind of be the face of the company to guide us through these waters. But Bob Chapek is still CEO. He's still doing the job of the CEO. So no, any reports you hear about Bob Iger coming back, not true because he never went anywhere, and any reports you hear about him taking back over the CEO job, no, that's not true either. He's simply being a little bit more vocal, a little bit more of the face. Rob, you see this. Would you interpret this as an opportunity right out of the gate for Bob Chapek just to be thrown right into the water and really carry things right now? Or is it the appropriate thing for the guy who's been the head and main face of the company for the last 15 years to kind of step up a little bit and still be the face through this crisis that Disney is facing? How do you interpret the way they've, they're have they handling this right now? Well, I mean, this is a titanic level event. The iceberg has, has slammed into Disney and it is this global pandemic i mean from their parks to their cruise ships to their tv and and motion picture business they literally are dead in the water and they're sinking rapidly and you you don't want the new guy as good as the new guy can be chapek is also a lifer at disney pretty much and uh you know i think bob Iger is doing what any responsible what anybody would do you know you come back in and you help you know, if there's if there's if there's one thing we as, as Americans do, we as human beings do when you've built something and you have an opportunity to come back in and fix it and not just fix the problem, but help the thousands upon thousands of employees that you have at your company, something that you've been building for decades. You don't just go, eh, let it burn. I'll walk away. I mean, Disney's a publicly held company that that the the amount of businesses that support Disney and the amount uh, on a global scale are massive. And and I think that what Bob is doing is he's coming in. At, uh, you know, I, I read this article over the weekend that was in The New York Times about this situation. And they call Bob C. Bob C. And then they call Bob Iger just Bob. So there's Bob and there's Bob <laughs> C. And. You know, now it's it's all hands on deck. People do what they can. I, I mean, there's no amount of money you can throw at Bob Iger to fix this problem. What you need is his knowledge and understanding of the company to come in at a time of crisis, shore things up, and get them through. Because biz- Disney's almost their entire business is servicing the public in some way, shape, or form. And when that business is is ground to a halt by no fault of your own. You do what you can to, to save not just the company, but all of the people that work for the company. You know, there's all everybody who works at Disney has experience. And and even the even the, the people that even the people that clean the parks, the janitorial service at Disneyland, which is not only the happiest place on Earth, but one of the cleanest places on the Earth. You don't want to lose those people. And and I think that Bob Iger knows that and he's he's doing he's doing his work exactly what he should be doing and what a responsible business leader does so and we're getting a lot of tweets and things john or bob bob Iger's taking over at disney no bob Iger's never left and he's coming in when the 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 the, the company is burning it's sinking and he's there to do what he can to make sure that that ship does not sink to the bottom of the ocean but continues on and i think more power to him good on him for doing so yeah, I agree. And so listen, guys, if you see your fellow film fans online saying, oh, did you hear that Bob Iger's back? Remind them, he didn't go anywhere. 
He's still the chairman of the board, and Bob Chapek is still CEO. He is just lending his face and his help in this time of crisis. I just let your fellow film fans know because it can become a little bit confusing uh, in the internet era, of course, of what's going on. So do that, guys, and jump down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that stuff down and out of the way, let's now move on to our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here on the John Campy Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys come up with our main topics by going anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on The John Campius Show. With that down, let's move on to main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Mr. T.J. Lynn. And T.J. Lynn writes, Scorsese is my favorite director of all time, but I'm not sure he understands economy. His upcoming film, Killers of the Flower Moon, would cost about $200 million, which he's planning on doing with Leonardo DiCaprio, by the way. About $200 million, according to reports. And now he is considering Apple or Netflix to fund it. This baffles me. How on earth someone of his caliber cannot understand simple math when it comes to cost-gain analysis? Why would you need that kind of money to make a drama? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, Marty Scorsese right now is working on Killers of the Flower Moon. He's, he's trying to get this movie up and running. Now, here's the background on this. He was supposed to be making this movie with Paramount. Paramount, cool with it. His original budget, according to reports was $175 million. Again, why he needs that kind of money, I don't know. However, he has revamped that budget that has now ballooned to over $200 million for this thing. At which point, Paramount said, uh, thanks, but no thanks. Please shop this around elsewhere. And they apparently are okay to maybe come on board and, and help out as a financer a little bit. Now, there's a key thing in here as well, that it's not just, it's not just Paramount. The film is now expected to cost over $200 million, and Paramount told Scorsese to seek out other partners. According to the report, Scorsese also reached out to Universal and MGM, but they both turned him down. But Paramount is open to a deal that would still allow them maybe to participate as a financier, or as a distributor. I don't know what Martin Scorsese is thinking at this point. Now, look, it became clear, despite the success that he had, although it didn't make money, but the success he had with The Irishman. The success he had with The Irishman, in the midst of all that, he still made it pretty clear where he wanted to see his movies was on a big screen. That's where he wanted to see his movies. But Rob, there, there are a couple of questions that come to mind here. Now, I got to admit, I haven't read the script. So maybe if I did, I'd be like, oh my God, how can you not spend $200 million? But my first reaction as a film fan is, what the flying F do you need $200 million for to make a movie like this? And by the way, let's put this in context. One of his most beloved films in recent years, Wolf of Wall Street, that movie made under $380 million. Wolf of Wall Street, Oscar nominated, everybody talks about it, everybody loves that movie, woo-ha, did not make $400 million. How, how can you expect to come out and do 
that type of thing. I, I don't know what he's thinking, but I can tell you what. With the Irishman, which I think was what didn't the budget on Irishman end up being about one hundred and seventy five million or something like so, that in its own craziness. Listen, so and some people after they saw heard all the Oscar buzz, they said, Oh, I bet the studios feel dumb not picking it up. No, they don't, because you know how much money that movie would have made in theaters? Not enough. It would have lost the money. The studios made a good call to turn it down. And guess what? The movie didn't make Netflix any money either. They saw it as a prestige play, and on that it has value for them. It, it does. It's a value add for them to make themselves be taken more seriously as a player in this field. A prestige play for them, it added value. So for them, I could see it. But now Scorsese is once again put in the position he did not want to be in. He's now having to go to streamers to see if he can get the money to make his movie. He's gone to Netflix and he's gone to Apple. Could be either one of them. But he tried with Paramount. They ditched him. And before going to Netflix... And before going to Apple, he went to other studios. He went to MGM. He went to Universal. And they both said, sorry, like, Marty, we love you, but these numbers don't work. We can't, we're going to lose money if we do this. And they turned him down. Rob, I fully expect this to be another Marty Scorsese movie that will be fantastic to watch. It will be awesome, but probably wouldn't have made any money. But at some point, Rob, even this utopia, you and I have talked about this before, even in this utopia of, hey, filmmakers, just go and let the streamers pay for it. At some point, that gravy train stops because at some point these streamers actually have to make money and not be in $15 billion of debt like Netflix is. So I don't know. You see this situation, Rob. What's your analysis of it? Well, to be honest, I see this movie in terms of a production, in terms of production, what they need. It's sort of a cross between there will be blood and dances with wolves. Not that the story is about that. The story is actually really interesting about how oil was discovered on the land of the Osage Indians. I think it's how you say Osage Indians in the 20s. And what happened was once the oil was going to be pumping, the those Native Americans that lived on that land were going to be – they're all going to make a lot of money. And there was a plot against them where they started to get – they were being murdered. So they wouldn't have to be paid by the oil men and the ranchers. And uh, then there was an investigation and the FBI came in and found out what was going on. So it's a really interesting story. But from a production standpoint, I don't understand. I mean, sure, you've got to be you have to evoke the 1920s Oklahoma. But how hard is that really? I mean, if you're going to show like stampede, that's why I said dances with wolves, stampeding buffalo or cattle or whatever it is you're going to show. But. I, I don't understand why they would have to pay $200 million. I really don't know where that money is going. Even if you're using special effects to show the, the oil fields or something, it's not like you're creating Thanos. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's actors. It's essentially a, a 1920s dusty story set in Oklahoma. And unless there's something I'm missing, I don't understand how a movie like that can be that expensive. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, and, and like you said, John, who's going to make – look, admittedly, this the book is – I haven't read the book, but it's it, it came out a couple of years ago, and everyone says it's one of the great nonfiction books 
uh, of the last 20 years or whatever. And I get that. The story's really interesting. But it seems to me like you could tell that story. It's people in negotiating contracts. And it's not like there was a war or something, unless I'm missing I'm missing out what I've understood what the story's about. But, but if it did I, have a war, would it even then still require $200 million? I, like, is he planning I, on getting Clint Eastwood to play a teenager in this movie? And he's going to uh, yeah, do his I, digital de-aging all again? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that it, you got to come down, like you pointed out. Everyone, I love Wolf of Wall Street, but it didn't make a billion dollars. And with this kind of movie, even if you have prestige stars in it, to make something like this for two hundred million dollars seems not only, not only sort of, it just seems reckless to me. And I, yeah. I, I'm like, this movie should cost seventy million dollars. But then again, I don't know what they want to do. But I just don't see how this movie can cost this much money. No, and you've got to make, and again, like there are people who will say, well, well, John, why do you care? Why do you and Rob care how much it'll it'll cost? Because here's why. Ultimately, everybody forgets this is all correlated. The more money the studios spend to make these movies, the more ticket prices go up. It's just the way it works because they need to rec recoup that money. And this is an industry, this guy, especially for a guy like Marty Scorsese, who early on his career learned and knows how to make money, on, make movies on shoestring budgets and you do what you can. Why he needs $200 million to make something like this, I have no idea. I'm sure it'll be great, but I'm also 100% sure it's not going to take $200 million to do it. So anyway, guys, question here for you is, what do you think about this story? Do you think he's being nuts? Do you think the studios are being nuts for turning it down? I don't know. Maybe you're seeing some things and angles on this that we're not looking at right now. That's the best thing about having a community. What do you guys think about it? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down and out of the way, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Gregory Hashim. And Gregory Hashim writes into us, Big Thor fan here. Me too, Gregory. Yes, I even love Dark World. Don't at me. So yeah, obviously really excited for Thor Love and Thunder. Just wondering if you saw Taika Waititi's comments about not being sure, uh, sure yet if Fat Thor from Endgame will still play a part in it. Isn't it kind of late to not know if something as major as that? I hope we see out of shape Thor and get him back into shape in an old Rocky-style montage. Thanks. All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, Taika Waititi did one of the coolest things um, in the last couple of days. He did like a uh, like a, a stream where he talked about Thor Ragnarok and all this kind of stuff, showed some fake pages for that had Tony Stark coming back. We talked about that the other day. But there was a couple of other interesting things that he talked about in there, one of which that came up was the idea of, of Fat Thor, as he says. And that is something that a lot of fans have talked about because, you know, Fat Thor in Endgame was such a great surprise and it was fun and all that kind of stuff. Some fans want to see that continue. And this comes to us from The Hollywood Reporter. It says this, uh, Taika Waititi admitted that he is a fan of Beta Ray Bill, but wasn't sure if he would appear in the picture, though he later mentioned that he was on the fifth or sixth draft of the script. He confirmed that Silver Surfer, this is the other key thing here, because there's been some speculation that Silver Surfer was going to be in the movie because now Fantastic Four and all their characters are in. However, despite the rumors that we were going to see Silver Surfer in Thor Love and Thunder, it's not happening. He confirmed that Silver Surfer will not be in the film. Watiti did not say much about Thor's appearance in the upcoming film, but did say that Fat Thor seemed like something that was done and over. Now, to be clear, the specific thing that Watiti said was... 
I'm not sure yet. Not sure yet. But it feels like that's done. And you know what, Rob? I got to say, I agree with him. You don't want to stretch out a gag too long. The novelty of that gag, I feel like the novelty of the Fat Thor gag was done when the portal scene started to happen in Endgame. Like, at that point, it was done. And it was time to move on for it. Now, that's not to say that it's not kind of a cool idea to maybe have, do like one of those really quick things off the beginning, like a montage sort of thing. Like, that could be a cool idea to see him get back into shape. And and to the viewer's question asking, you know, how can you be this close to shooting and not know? Because something like if you want to do a little montage showing heavy Thor getting back into shape, you can make that decision last minute, shoot like a, a three minute thing and, and throw that in there if you wish. So that could still happen to I'm cool with it. Rob, I'm also not surprised to hear that Silver Surfer wasn't going to be a part of it. I thought Kevin Feige made it pretty clear when the acquisition of Fox happened that don't expect to see any of the Fantastic Four X-Men stuff for at least a number of years. So I'm not surprised that Silver Surfer is not going to be in there. I still doubt that we're going to see Beta Ray Bill. I I said that from the beginning, although it would be cool. It would be cool to see him in there. So that's still a possibility. But hey, Rob, you're here, Taika's comments. Do you think what he's saying makes sense both on the Fat Thor front, the Silver Surfer, Beta Ray Bill? What do you think of Ratiti's comments? Well, I think, look, like you and I have talked about on this show, you could have one gag in the beginning, like where they're working out or mention they're working out or whatever. I mean, I'm I'm dubious as to Thor couldn't just use his thunder god power and miracle himself back into thor shape if he wanted to right but but i think yeah i i i i understand that that joke probably has played itself out um and it's something you could easily you know oh i've been working out for the last five months or something you know it's easy to get rid of um so that doesn't bother me i mean it doesn't surprise me because again that's a plot thread from another movie that remember at the beginning of Endgame, Thor wasn't fat. He was fat after five years, and then you just start up again and he's not fat anymore. I mean, I don't think that, that there's any problem with saying that, yep, I worked out, it took me a couple months, but I'm back to fighting shape. Or even he doesn't have to say it, somebody else can. Um, I'm more interested in whether the Guardians of the Galaxy are going to be in Thor, Love, and Thunder, to be honest. But uh, we'll find out. And uh, look, it doesn't surprise me that Silver Surfer is not in the movie because to me, Silver Surfer has to be introduced along with Galactus. And it, it, Silver Surfer belongs sort of, in my mind, to the Fantastic Four. And why would you get rid of of that? The same way that Doctor Doom kind of comes along with the Fantastic Four. But, you know, you never know. So uh, all I'm excited about is that Taika Waititi is excited about this movie. And uh, I love Ragnarok, so I can't wait to see what he's going to do. And he's only become a better filmmaker. He's got two more movies. You know, he did, obviously, Jojo Rabbit. And now he's got a soccer film under his belt. With Michael Fassbender. Yeah, and he's just, he's, uh, I I mean, he's getting to be a better filmmaker. And I think we're only going to be, as Marvel fans, we're going to be getting a better movie. So I can't wait. I I hope that they're going to carry over anything. I hope it's that beard. Like, when he goes nuclear at the portals battle and he you know whatever he's got the beard braid going down there's something that is infinitely badass about that beard i know i, I hope he is i hope he carries that beard over because i love that beard all right guys question here is what do you think of taika watiti's comments do you think that maybe maybe it's just a smoke screen do you think silver surfer's actually going to show up I, I don't think so what about beta ray bill and what do you think about the notion about whether or not they should carry over that gag from one film to another 
Maybe you have a different thought. Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to our third main topic today. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Jeff Singer, who writes, Hello, John and the king of all things verisimilitude, Rob. Since 2013, Hunger Games Catching Fire has held the record for biggest opening weekend for a November film. A very impressive feat, considering what films have come since and have failed to beat it. Uh, do you think either Black Widow or No Time to Die, which right now are both scheduled to come out in November, um, will be the film to beat this record, or will Catching Fire still reign supreme? Thanks, and have a great day. And you know what? Every once in a while you hear records that you think, wait a minute, really? That can't be right. And I remember when I when I first read this question, I'm like, wait a minute, no. Catching Fire isn't still the record holder for November. A lot of big films have come out in November's. But guess what? It is. It is still the record holder for the month of November. And it's it's standing up. It basically, November is Twilight Month. But seriously, look at these numbers. Frozen 2 opened in November to $130 million opening weekend. Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 1 made 138. Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 2 made 141. Twilight Saga New Moon, so November is basically Twilight Month. I think, Rob, I think sometimes we forget how much effing money that Twilight series made. That Twilight series made an ass load of money. An absolute yep. ass load of money. Anyway, and then of course, Hunger Games Catching Fire with the record well in the lead still, a record that still stands about 16 million ahead at 158 million dollars opening weekend okay but this year we got something special happening we've got two significant films coming out in november now we have black widow coming out in november and we also have james bond no time to die two films that were not supposed to open in november but hey times are what they are now they're coming in november rob i think in asking the question about whether either of these films can be the film to beat that catching fire record there are two things to take in consideration number one can either of these films on their own merit be a 158 million dollar opening weekend film and honestly i'm not sure i i i still don't think that while i do believe black widow will be a hit i don't know that i see black widow being a 158 million dollar opening weekend movie even in, in in the best times, even without the circumstances being what they are, I'm not sure because that is do not underestimate how huge of a number that is for an opening weekend. One hundred and fifty eight million. I don't know. I, let's just say I had my doubts that that could happen anyway with James Bond. Again, I think James Bond was going to be a big hit, but I still would have my reservations that it could make one hundred and fifty eight million opening weekend. So. It's a coin toss to me. It's a coin toss under normal circumstances if either Black Widow or James Bond No Time to Die could beat that Catching Fire record. But Rob, there's also another thing to take into consideration. Even under the assumption that the theaters will be, by November, the theaters will be back open, we'll be getting back into the swing of things and all that kind of stuff. But there are going to, there's going to be a portion of our population that is going to be a little slower to adapt back to the new normal, right? There's going to be a portion of our population. Uh, not that I'm trying to compare the two situations, but I'm just saying, just, just as, you know, uh, post other crises, it took people, some people jump right back into it. Some people take a little bit longer to get back into it. And I believe we will be back full swing. 
We will be back full swing. The question is, will we be back 100% total full swing by November? And I'm not sure. I think a lot of people will be, but I don't know that enough people would be that even if Black Widow or No Time to Die under normal stances, under normal circumstances would have beaten the Hunger Games record, I'm not sure that everybody will be back into full swing. I think there are still going to be some people who are going to be playing a little bit more cautious, wait to see to make sure everything's fine and all that kind of stuff before they get back in. So overall, when you take those two things into consideration, Rob, I'm doubting, I doubt that either Black Widow or James Bond, No Time to Die, both of which I think will be hits and do well, I'm doubting either one of them will break that Hunger Games record. Rob, you take a look at this, taking all things into consideration. Can either Black Widow or James Bond beat that Hunger Games record right now? Well, I think, look, I think both of those movies could, under normal circumstances, beat that record. I think the possibility is there. More so with Black Widow than Bond, because Bond, even though Bond's been doing great worldwide, you know, the numbers in America are never stellar. I mean, they're never like, oh, my God, it made 300 million domestic. But um, like you said, we're not exactly in normal situ a normal situation and it's really going to it's really going to it's going to be really interesting to see how i don't think the country is going to open up automatically like everybody's going to be it's going to be a rolling rollout i mean things are going to come back to normal on a state by state basis it's going to require testing just like south korea they tested everybody they found out if people still had the disease or were asymptomatic they quarantined them we just right now we don't have the tests to do that. And until we do, it's going to take months before we can actually responsibly open the country. So it might not be until, I don't know, late summer till the country's even opened. And then you have to convince people that big group gatherings are a good idea. So while the movies are scheduled to still open at the time, I just don't know, John. I think it's a I think it's a I like you. I think it's going to be rough to be able to do those kinds of numbers. Um, but it really depends. It depends on how how quickly I know that uh, the leadership here in the country wants to get back to work, but it's really gonna require so we don't have flare-ups or massive second and third waves of this disease that they do it responsibly. And if they can pull that off and do what we saw in South Korea, which is pretty impressive, uh, they might be able to do it. But I really, it's hard to say right now. But I, I think I, it's, I here's think- Here's a question uh, for you. I got a question for you. So, like, I agree. I, I think it's going to be problematic to beat that Hunger Games record. But I still believe that both, even given circumstances as they are, I believe that both Black Widow and James Bond No, no Time to Die will still be successful. Yeah, uh, yeah. Even given the circumstances. Do you feel that way or do you think that their success is even in question at this point? No. Oh, no, no. Because, look, the the places like China where the Marvel movies have been big and and the Asian markets, well, I don't know, we'll see what happens to Japan, but but they're getting a handle on this and they're gonna know. And I still think peep dude, who does people wanna see these movies? I wanna see these <laughs> movies. Everybody wants to see No Time to Die and and uh Black Widow. I mean, after those trailers, they look great. And if they're great movies, people are gonna go. So hopefully, um I, I think they're both gonna be hugely successful, frankly. All right, guys, the question is for you. Given the current circumstances, but maybe even without the current circumstances, do you think either Black Widow or James Bond No Time to Die actually stood a shot at beating that Hunger Games record? Because 
Do not underestimate how big that $158 million number is. What do you guys think? Jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down and out of the way, let's move on to main topic number four. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Stefan Miller, who writes, Greetings, John and co. Hoping you're all doing well and enjoyed your Easter weekend. We are doing well. Thank you so much. And I had a great Easter weekend. Thank you very much for asking. With all the chaos in the film industry as a result of the current circumstances, just wanted to know your thought on James Gunn saying that neither Suicide Squad nor Guardians 3 would be, de <clears throat> would be delayed. I admire the optimism. But isn't he being a bit obtuse in that prediction? Seems like everything is being moved around. Why would his films be any different? All right. Thanks a lot for writing that in, Stefan. And yes, for those of you who don't know what he's talking about, like, again, in the midst of everything, of a lot of movies being pushed and move around, all that kind of stuff, James Gunn was just recently asked, and everybody knows I, I love James Gunn. I think the dude is great. James Gunn was just recently asked, hey, you know, are, should we expect that Suicide Squad and Guardians are going to get bumped around? And he actually gave an answer that surprised a lot of people. James Gunn said the following. He said, right now, there is no reason for the Suicide Squad release date to move. We are on or ahead of schedule. We were extremely fortunate to wrap shooting and set up editing from our homes due to post-production team and studio with Foresight before the quarantine happened. Plans for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 are also exactly the same as they were before the coronavirus. That comes from James Gunn. So basically what James Gunn is saying here is, look, uh, we actually, we were ahead of schedule. And before, unlike some other movie productions that like just were going along as normal until the shutdown happened, we prepared for it. We, we kind of had an idea that a shutdown may happen. So we prepped ourselves and set up all of our post-production workflow to work isolated from home. We are at or ahead of schedule. And the nice thing is Suicide Squad is not supposed to come out in the next six months anyway. So he's feeling really comfortable. So there's no reason to believe that we're not going to open on time. And Guardians of the Galaxy 3 was even further down the line. So he is still at or ahead of where he was thinking he was going to be in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Look, I understand. I agree that right now in the current you know situation that we're in, it sounds weird for a director to come out and sound so confident that their films are actually absolutely going to make their scheduled releases. But when you actually look at the circumstances that James Gunn is in and that his movies are in, it actually seems pretty straightforward. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any reason to believe right now that either of these things are going to get delayed. If anything would delay them, Rob, I would think that if anything was going to delay it, it wouldn't be anything to do with the production of these movies themselves, but rather maybe uh, Warner Brothers wanting to move another one of their movies into the Suicide Squad's spot or into, or if Disney might want to move another one of their movies into the Guardians of the Galaxy 3 slot. But as far as he knows, that's not the situation. So I'll tell you what, it does sound a little odd or obtuse, as you said, but I actually believe him. I, I actually have high confidence, as James Gunn does, that these movies will release on time for all the reasons he said. Rob, it is strange to hear, but what do you think of James Gunn's comment saying that these movies, Suicide Squad and Guardians Volume 3, will both release on time? Do you agree? I I do. Like you said, it's they're so far out. What? Why would we think that they wouldn't? I mean, ultimately, look, this like everything, this situation that we're dealing with now will pass. And it, it will be brought under control. 
And I think that these movies are far enough out that they probably won't be affected at all. You know, what is going to be interesting is all of these movies that have been delayed or things, the the productions that were curtailed. There's going to be a lot of movies to see. And and there's going to be a lot of, I think, filled up weekends as they release all of this stuff and a lot of jockeying. But this stuff is far enough out. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy 3 isn't even started shooting yet. So I I don't think and and Suicide Squad's in the midst of post. So I really don't see that these movies are going to be delayed at all. I don't think it was unusual or I don't even think it's really news. James Gunn's like he's hunkered down working away, making his movies. You know what you this know, says uh, to me too is it, it, the, the impressiveness of foresight. You know James Gunn used the word foresight to realize, you know what? Hmm. There seems to be a storm brewing. You know with all the talks, but you know what? This could affect us. Let's start preparing. Let's not just wait for them to shut us down. Let's start doing things right now and assume we're going to get shut down. And let's put all of our pieces in place of exactly how we're going to do this if if the shutdown does happen and how we're going to do our post-production. And it sounds like they have that type of foresight. And it's that kind of leadership, whether that came from James Gunn or it came from somebody at Warner Brothers or whatever, that kind of leadership can help get you through a lot of bumpy waters. And it's kind of impressive, and it kind of makes me wish that more films had that kind of foresight. Although, I don't know who saw the situation being as bad as it is. Uh, if your name's not Doctor Fauci, but uh, yeah, so that's something to consider. Question here is, guys, what do you think about that? Do you think these movies will actually get released on time? I actually wanted to know your uh, thoughts on this, so I made that the topic of today's question of the day. And the question of the day that I simply put up at my Twitter, simply at John Campia, it's the top question right now. You guys can go there and answer it if you'd like. But I asked you guys just before the show started, James Gunn says that both Suicide Squad and Guardians 3 will not be delayed. Do you think he's right? And then we talk about some of the other things. And I asked you guys, and right now, about uh, a little over a 1,000 of you guys, over 1,100 of you guys have responded to this. And you guys have said the following. Yes, 61.9% of you agree that you believe both of these movies will be in theater on or and on time. But still a significant number of you, 38.1% of you guys are saying, nah, you think one or both of those movies will be delayed. So the question here for you is, what do you guys think? Jump down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down and out of the way, let's move on to main topic number five. And this is one we've been talking about a a lot lately, but it keeps evolving. This question gets sent to us by Adit Aurora, who writes, Hi, John and Rob. AMC is now likely to file for bankruptcy during the pandemic. I usually go to Showplace Icon, but that will close tons of IMAX 3D and dine-in theaters. Is there any way to save AMC theaters? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And of course, you know, as I mentioned, we have been talking a lot about the AMC situation. Now, to recap and just to set the context for us here, AMC theaters being the biggest exhibitor in the world, they were in a more precarious position than a lot, if any, of the other movie theaters were, even though they're bigger when the shutdown happened because AMC theaters have just spent a number of years making massive expenditures, improving their theaters, acquiring new theaters, and getting their AMC A-list program up and running. It was an expensive endeavor and an endeavor that put them $5 billion in debt. $5 billion in debt. But... That was okay, because that was the plan. 
We're going to go into massive debt. We're going to do all this spending, but then our theaters are going to be better. We're going to have more theaters. We're going to have this incredible A-list, AMC A-list program up and running. And everything was going according to plan. AMC A-list this past quarter, Rob, was the first quarter for them that A-list actually started to turn a profit and it was just going to continue to make profit for them moving forward. However, in a perfect storm, this shutdown hit just as they hit the apex of that debt and were not able now to enjoy those profits they were probably trying to position themselves to start making. That has left AMC in a very precarious situation to the point, Rob, that a bunch of analysts in Hollywood said they ain't going to survive. They won't survive. And we've talked about this uh, for the last few weeks. The newest development in all this is that it is now official. AMC has engaged uh, legal teams that specialize in bankruptcy. It seems at this point that AMC theaters has resigned themselves to the fact that they are going to have to file for bankruptcy. The biggest movie theater chain in the world it's about to hit bankruptcy. Now, bankruptcy is not an automatic death sentence. Bankruptcy is actually, in principle, a doctrine that was created to actually protect individuals and organizations from being completely decimated when going into such a filing for filing Chapter 11. This will give AMC theaters some protections, give them some breathing room, and give them an opportunity to reorganize. But Rob... Even if all that happens, it is likely that AMC Theaters is going to be in a position that they will probably have to excise a number of their assets. They're probably going to have to sell off a bunch of their theaters. They're probably going to have to drop a bunch of their things in order to satisfy the requirements of some debtors under bankruptcy. Because bankruptcy, unlike what some people think, is not just a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's, it's not that. It still has very, very negative repercussions. And this could still have very long-lasting effects on AMC theaters. Rob, at this point where it seems like it's inevitable, AMC is going to be filing for bankruptcy. This is going to change the landscape of, of our industry. Seeing the Titanic of movie theater chains heading in this, Rob, how do you see this affecting not only AMC moving forward, but maybe the whole theatrical industry as a whole moving forward with AMC going into bankruptcy? How do you see it? Well, it's it's definitely some look, it, they they responsible business owners in this situation have no choice. And what what bankruptcy, remember, it's bankruptcy. There's it, there's protections, as you pointed out, involved here. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to they're incurring massive amounts of debt without getting any kind of income. And it's not like they've been mismanaged. I mean, again, this was a a, a natural disaster that nobody anticipated. And I think they're being they're doing the responsible thing. And like you said, the the movie studios were talking just about whether Black Widow or No Time to Die can come out. Well, the studios need theaters in order to have these movies come out and be successful. So having AMC, which is the largest theater chain, go away or being in the midst of bankruptcy protection does not help the studios in their cause when movie theaters can finally reopen. So I think they're going to get a lot of aid. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to want to step in and help AMC through this because they need AMC to be here. Because as we've talked about, releasing these kinds of movies just on streaming does not allow them to recoup what they need to recoup 
the studios need to make a lot more money than that. And this is we're now in a situation where there's a ripple effect across multiple businesses on multiple levels. I mean, remember, movie theaters have people that deliver supplies to them. I'm You're talking about transportation and you're talking about the people that sell candy and soda and popcorn to the theater chains. It, it, there's so many people that are affected by this. And I just don't think that that they're going to get the aid they need. I don't know quite how it's obviously I don't I'm not privy to those kinds of things, but there's it's going to change. It's going to change and it's going to hurt. It's not going to be painless. But I I think we're going to see AMC come through this uh, not necessarily unscathed, but hopefully stronger than before. I mean, they're still, they've been upgrading their theaters to provide a premium experience to moviegoers. The studios know this, customers know this. I mean, we're gonna wanna see these things. And who's gonna come in? Every business, John, is suffering. So it's not like Disney or Amazon's gonna swoop in. They've got their own problems. You know, obviously Disney, we were talking about that earlier in the show. I mean, Amazon's got a lot of money, but Amazon has a lot on their plate too. They can't just take over an entirely new business and be like, yep, well, while we're trying to make Whole Foods work, let's take over the movie theaters too. I, it's just, it's it's not, just because you have money doesn't mean you're ready to take over a national or international company and start running a service industry that you had never been involved in before. So uh, we'll see. I think what, what AMC more than ever is being responsible. They're talking and they're they're looking through their options and talking to bankruptcy lawyers is number one on that list. And they're figuring out how can we survive this? And so I think they're doing the smart. They're making the smart play. They're making the only play. And uh, I think kudos to them for for continuing to to do good business, even in this terrible time of economic upheaval. You know, I'm also hearing a lot of people, Rob, saying. Even when the theaters open back up, no one's going to go. It's changed forever. And I hear some people saying, I can never go to the movie theaters again. Here's the thing. Whenever something big happens, there are two things you should never underestimate, Rob. One, never underestimate the human capacity for knee-jerk reactions. Right. And that's true of me. That's true of everybody. I mean, it is. But also number two, Never underestimate the resiliency of uh, the human character. Never underestimate the resiliency of the human character. Because I remember, and again, I'm not trying to equate these two situations as being at all the same. I'm just saying I think there's an object lesson here. You know, when 9-11 happened, there was a lot of talk. Because, you know, I was I, I was around when that happened. There was a lot of talk of never flying again. You remember, Rob, you, you were around that time too. We saw all the talk. And all the discussions, will people ever fly again? Will people ever feel safe? Like, Guess what? They did. Maybe not every single human being in the world, but the right. vast, vast majority of the public got back to flying. If the packed flights I was ever, always on or any indication, everybody did get back to flying. And there are a lot of people right now, again, I see, I'm never going to the theaters again. Okay, you may think that right now, but I think you're underestimating your own actual resiliency. Because at some point, most of us will like there's going to be a bunch of people that as soon as they throw the theater doors open a lot of us are going to go back some people are going to be a little bit more cautious want to wait to see make sure everything's fine see that a lot of other people are going and it's not causing any more big breakouts okay but at some point i think we always underestimate 
human resiliency to get back to our way of life. Will there be some changes? Sure. Just like in 9-11, how we get on a plane now changed. Uh, will there be some changes in theater going? Maybe. Maybe there's going to be, I don't know if there's going to be hand sanitizer stations in the front of every theater and you're going to be required to apply it before. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm just making stuff up. But I think people underestimate that. And if AMC can come out the other side of this, I think it won't be long to before there are they are on the road to becoming healthy again on the road it might take a while to get healthy again like you said so accurately there's, there's going to be some pain there's going to be some hiccups but i i think people underestimate the human resiliency uh to get back to it and uh, i know i'm planning on going back once they say it's cool to do so i know others are going to go and i think others will just have to take a little bit of time and that's totally understandable Totally understandable. But I think I think there is light at the end of this tunnel. And I think some people right now are being more skeptical, uh, skeptical about that. Skeptimistic. <laughs> I combined it skeptical and optimistic. Skeptimistic about it right now. But I think the time will come. Anyway, guys, I want to ask you that. What do you think is going to happen here with AMC theaters? It looks like they are taking that next step right now. They are heading into bankruptcy. Can they come out the other side? I'm not 100% sure, but if they can, I do believe better days are ahead. But what do you guys think about that? Jump down to the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. Uh, you know, side note, Rob, you know, uh, the other thing about, you know, with the movies going to VOD, I just I'm not making this a headline because I, I, I can't personally verify this. So no headline, not making a video about this. But, you know, I heard from somebody inside the studio system about um, trolls. You know how they just launched their VOD thing? Not doing well. But which to you and I is no surprise. We, we knew that. But I, I mean, the VOD system is not turning out the way some people thought it would. Uh, these A lot of these movies that are doing that, not, not working out. So to go to what you were saying again, Rob, the studios really do need <laughs> AMC theaters and all the theaters up and running again for them to make the kind of money they need to make. Anyway, guys, listen, with all that down and out of the way, uh, we're going to move into our live questions today. But before we do, Robert and I are going to do as we do uh, every day here. We're going to take a quick four minute break here, give ourselves a chance to stretch our legs, rest the vocal cords, refill our drinks, give you a chance to run and use the bathroom uh, as well to talk amongst yourselves. So hang out here, guys. Don't go anywhere. Robert and I will be right back. See you in just a couple of minutes.
Thank you so much for your patience and indulgence as we took a little bit of a break there. You know, Rob, I just uh, I just ran downstairs to refill my drink and everything. I want to point? I'm so. Can I just say I'm so proud of my wife. Uh, Anne um, uh, Anne uh, decided to step down from her senior position over at Hasbro to take an even more senior position at Amazon. And today is my wife's first day of work, Rob. It's her first day of her new job. And of course, she's, as is everybody right now, she's working remotely. So she's downstairs uh, doing teleconferencing right now and all kind of stuff. And I just looked at her and said, look at her start her first day at school. It's her first day of the new job. Super proud of her. So remember, guys, if any of you have uh, any problems, any late deliveries coming from Amazon, you can write to my wife uh, simply at, no, no, I'm just, that's, oh, wow. that's, that's not the area she's running. That's not the area she's running. Just to be very, very clear about that. Okay, guys, let's jump over to your live questions and let's start getting caught up here right now. We're going to start things up with uh, Gibby Padilla, who writes, what if, with Killmonger won it all in Black Panther, what happens to Infinity War and Endgame? Does Thanos defeat the Avengers and stay victorious? Or do our heroes uh, still figure out a way to win? Keep up the good work. Um, I've got to believe, Rob, that uh, no, uh, Thanos wins. There was only one possibility out of, what, 14 million? Uh, what was the total thing? So, yeah, I think if yeah Black Panther wins that. I mean, it's an interesting question. What would have happened to the world? But Thanos was above all that, so I think ultimately Thanos wins by the end. Hell, he just wins at the end of Infinity War, and there is no end game. But I don't know. What do you think, Rob? Uh, yeah, man. <laughs> you know, I I gotta say it's an unpopular opinion, but yeah. Maybe it was, it was us. We had the problem with Thanos's plan. We just couldn't hang with it, you know. <laughs> we just couldn't uh, hang I, with it. I mean, if we if we looked at the bright side of what he did and sort of embraced it, but no, we moped around for five years. You know, we didn't even try and make it work, John. Uh, if we only just if we just gave Thanos's plan a chance, hashtag yeah, give Thanos a chance. Give Thanos a chance. We didn't do that. We could have made the world a better place instead. People just parked their boats around the Statue of Liberty, you know, or maybe they just collected there. It was sad. Like, why didn't you just be like, heck, man, there's that many more gummy bears for me. <laughs> All right. Next up, Luis Sanchez writes, uh, sends in a $20 tip. Thank you for that, Luis. Uh, he writes, hey, John, love the show. Thank you so much. Just wanted to send my support. Keep up the good work and bring on the filthy. Oh, thanks so much for that, Luis. I appreciate that. It's always nice when somebody just wants to write in to say something nice. We appreciate that, man, and thanks for being here. All right, Minnesota Hockey Fan writes, I've been using this time to watch Universal Classic Monster Movies and Hammer Production remakes. Lo- uh, love Leah's Dracula. That was classic. Uh, just wish I could... Uh, there was, I just wish I could, there was a U.S. version of The Curse of Frankenstein. You know, Rob, off the top of my head, I'm not really familiar with The Curse of Frankenstein. Are you, and are it's, you about to tell me that you own the Blu-ray? <laughs> I, do, I do, actually. Of course you do. Uh, uh, the Curse of Frankenstein is a is a Hammer movie. Uh, the Hammer Studios, they made Dracula films with Christopher Lee. They made Frankenstein movies with Christopher Lee and um, a Peter Cushing. And they really, the Hammer Studios made, they made a whole bunch of movies. They didn't just make those horror films. They made, they made Quatermass movies. They made thrillers. They made all kinds of films. But it was a, it was a low budget British studio that worked in the, really the 50s, all the way back to the 40s, I think, but 50s, 60s, even 70s. And they made a lot of beloved 
uh, horror films that were more gothic in nature. My favorite Hammer movie, for those who want to know, is Vampire Circus. And then I'm partial to the Karnstein Vampire Trilogy of uh, The Vampire Lovers, Lust for a Vampire, and Twins of Evil, John. The Karnstein, which not a lot of people know, is a part of the same cinematic universe as the Berenstein Bears. A little bit of <laughs> trivia for that. Bring that up on the next trivia night. All right, next one up, The Real Batman. Uh, tip $50. Thank you so much, Real Batman, for that. appreciate that. He writes, a big fan since the AMC days. Thank you so much, Real Batman. Just want to say hi and appreciate what you're doing. And we appreciate you being here, man. And thank you so much for that. We appreciate that, man, very much. And I hope you're having a good day, dude. All right, Minnesota hockey fan also writes, during this lockout time, I am I am attempted uh, to buy the Star Trek box office. I, you probably meant I am tempted uh, to buy the Star Trek box set and watch the old Star Trek movies. I've only seen the first two, and I want to watch the others. What is your favorite of the old Star Trek movies? Um, of the older ones, if we're talking about by older ones, if we mean the original cast, it's, it's tough, Rob. I go back and forth. There are two that are very, very different from each other, but I love amazingly. One is obviously, which I think would be the more popular answer, is uh, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. But I am a big fan of Voyage Home. Computer? How a keyboard? How quaint? How quaint? I <laughs> love, love uh, voyage home. So I go back and forth between the two, but for now I'm going to say those are my two favorite. Rob, what about you? Well, I, I you know, I think Star Trek two is obviously considered the best, but everyone, you know, a lot of people like Star Trek three, Star Trek four, and then Star Trek six, the undiscovered country. My favorite though, that I've been defending for 40 years is Star Trek, the motion picture. And, uh, uh, th that is my favorite. And I know people are like, what? But it is, and so I think of the six original Star Trek feature films, uh, five of them are all very, very good. Now, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier is, I think, tonally very challenged. <laughs> but there's still some good stuff there. And I think a box set is worth getting if you like the films. Viger approves, Rob. Viger approves. V'ger approves. V'ger, V'ger, yes. All right, Jeep writes, uh, my favorite movie, The Dark Knight, my favorite TV show, Person of Interest. You know what's interesting, Jeep, is that I've heard from a lot of people that Person of Interest is supposed to be really good. And I finally, after years, decided to watch the first couple episodes. And I'll tell you what, Rob, I don't know if you have, but I watched the first few episodes and I quite enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, but I, but then I I don't know why I never got around to watching more of them, but I remember I watched the first like one or two episodes. I'm like, this seems really interesting. And I, 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 I can't explain why I didn't follow up on it, but have you ever watched it? Yeah. You know, and, and I liked the show, but I didn't follow through with it. I heard it got pretty, pretty cool. So it's one of those things I wouldn't mind catching up with on some rainy day. All right. Uh, and I do. I should get caught up on that. Jeep. All right. Heidi writes, uh, love the show. Thank you so much, Heidi. Appreciate that very much. Uh, Michael Lynn writes, uh, thank for all you do, John, and this 12-hour donation. Oh, well, okay. So Michael clearly wrote that in after we were done uh, and we were finished. Of course, we did our uh, marathon stream that came up well short of uh, 12 hours, but we did what we could. Uh, and thank you guys to all of you who who submitted donations for that. It went to a great Feeding America. And uh, you guys all did such a marvelous, marvelous job. And this one obviously came in after we were done the stream. But thank you so much for Michael. Appreciate that, dude. Anonymous viewer writes, uh, great job, man. Thanks for all you're doing. Listening to AMC days, uh, listening to AMC days, three underrated comedies that I love. Bowfinger, My Fellow Americans, and Grandma's Boy. I will tell you what, Rob. Uh, Bowfinger 
has one of the, you know, sometimes I talk about the top funniest moments in, <laughs> co- in, in movie comedy history. Top funniest moments. Of course, at the top for me is Dark Helmet saying, now Lone Star, you will see that evil will always triumph because good is dumb. That is my all-time favorite. But in the top 10, firmly, and I don't know that I've ever, this is a top 10 hardest laughed moment in theaters in my life. Bowfinger. Steve Martin says, we will get the best crew money can buy. Hard cut to him at the Mexican border trying to get immigrants to run into the back of his van. There was just something about the edit of that. that Bowfinger is genius. And I don't know why when people talk about Eddie Murphy, they don't talk more about that movie. But also Grandma's Boy is awesome. I love Grandma's Boy. That movie to me is freaking hilarious. And nobody talks about that movie. But I love it. I'm not familiar with my fellow Americans. I can't remember that one off the top of my head. But Rob, what do you think about those three films? Uh, I don't know my fellow Americans, but I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you about the other two. You know, I, I've been watching movies about making movies, and Bowfinger is the one that I always forget about. And then I think about it, I'm like, I remember, and the movie, uh, that movie's hilarious. It's hilarious. <laughs> and I, you know, I need to get, I don't own the Blu ray of that, and I need to get that movie. And like you, it just, it has laugh out loud funny stuff in it. And I, I need to get that. Yeah, absolutely. And do check out Grandma's Boy if you haven't had a chance because it's oh, yeah. really, really fun. About a dude who's a video game tester. It's awesome. Uh, Nick S. writes, you and Robert, two of my favorite people I've never met. Well, thanks for that, Nick. Uh, <laughs> seriously, appreciate everything you guys do. Never knew people took movies as seriously as I did until I found you when you were with AMC. Thankful for this community and these discussions. Oh, dude, thank you so much for saying that. And thanks for being here and being a part of our film fan community. Uh, it is the film fan community as a whole that makes the film fan community great. And that means you're a part of that. So thank you for that, Nick. I appreciate that very much. All right. Sam O'Neill writes, fun facts. Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Indy is decoding some cryptic message messages. However, on his left, you can see R2 and 3PO among the hieroglyphics. I've, I believe I've seen that before. Have you seen that, Rob? That there, there's these, and I believe there's another key one, too. But did you notice that one? I did. But, I, you know, I, it's funny that it's not something that, you know, you... It's not something that's in the forefront of my mind, really. But, but yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, next up. JR sends in $20. Thank you, JR, for that support, man. Would you consider doing a Stardew Valley live stream? It truly is a magnificent game, extremely relaxing and fun. 10 out of 10 on Steam. Really? I absolutely love that game and think you will really have a blast. I've always preferred it over Animal Crossing and Harvest Moon. Well, hold on a second. <laughs> I'm always looking for a good new game. By the way, probably later tonight, I'm going to do a, a nice sit back, relaxed uh, um, Animal Crossing uh, live stream a little bit later. But Stardew Valley, I'm not familiar with this game. Yeah, I don't right, know. Stardew it. Valley is a simulation role playing video game developed by uh, Carcrete Ape. Uh, the game was initially released on Microsoft Windows in February of 2016, with ports later being released for Mac OS, Linux. Blah, blah, blah. I'll tell you what, I'm going to leave this window open. Oh, I've seen this listed. Okay, it's got a 10 out of 10 on Steam, a 4.7 out of 5 on Google Play, and a 4.8 on the Apple App Store. I'll tell you what, I will check this out. I can't promise I'll do a live stream of it, JR. But thank you for putting that on my... I'm always looking for a nice, good good game to sit back and relax and have some fun with. That's That sounds really... 10 out of 10 on Steam. I will check it out. Thank you for putting it on my radar, dude. And I'm sure now a lot of people are going to be checking it out. Uh, thanks to your recommendation. All right, Sean writes... 
Hey, John, I'm writing a quick pitch for Charlie Cox to be in the next Spider-Man. Uh, what do you think of a fun homage by writing a few flashback scenes showing the death of Matt's father, uh, Ben Affleck, that mirror Peter's uncle Ben's death, Tobey Maguire? Well, I, I don't think, you know, we're, I don't, we're not going to see Charlie Cox in the new Spider-Man. They're not going to cross those things over. We're going to get Daredevil, but it's going to be a brand new Daredevil. Uh, so it's, it's not going to be Charlie Cox. Uh, a lot of people are hoping that happens. It's not impossible, right. Kevin Feige. But we had this full discussion on a show the other day about exactly why you probably shouldn't expect or even hope to see this happen. But it is Kevin Feige. He can snap his fingers if he wants to do it and make some kind of magic happen if he so chooses. But I think he chooses to create his own Daredevil. That's what I think Kevin Feige wants to do. And uh, and yeah, but uh, Rob, you hear that? What, where, what are your thoughts on that right now? Where are you at on this whole Charlie Cox and Spider-Man thing? Look, I totally agree with you. I think that if they're going to do it, the the problem is that it's the identity of the MCU. They want the identity, their identity. And I think while, look, I loved Charlie Cox's Daredevil. We had three killer seasons of it. And then he was also in, obviously, the Defenders crossover. And I just think that I would like to see a, a new version. The MCU version, however they're going to do it, I think that they should start anew. Because it, otherwise, then it's like, oh, you're 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 bringing this thing over, and Kevin Feige didn't get a chance. Not that he has to put his imprintur on everything, but they have to carefully craft it all to work. It's not just Daredevil. Remember, you bring Charlie Cox's Daredevil; it's everything that happened in that Daredevil show. Then is it canonical to the MCU? Is that Kingpin, the MCU's Kingpin? Is that Elektra? You know, everything. And then then is Mike Coulter coming back? And are you doing Iron Fist as well? I, I mean, it, it, it's I think it gets a little sticky. And I think starting over is probably for the best. You know, Rob, I just as Kevin Feige could, if he wanted to, could have brought Andrew Garfield over as Spider-Man. He wanted to do his own that would fit in that MCU, and I, I think yeah. you're right. That's what's going to happen. You're not. I don't. I do not believe. Although again, it's not impossible, but I don't believe we're going to see uh, that Charlie Cox in there. But hey, Stranger Things, dude. Stranger Things. All right, Jarrell Blue writes, John Fansons Forever. Thank you so much for that, Jarrell. Appreciate that. Uh, I did an unofficial song for Batman versus Superman that I released a week before the movie released, and I always want to know what you thought of it. I wrote it without seeing the movie. Well, clearly, I haven't watched it. And I haven't, I have not seen that yet. Um, I do listen. I do so appreciate, and this this makes me sound absolutely well. There's probably a lot of th things that I say that make me sound like a Hollywood douchebag. Let's be honest about that. But I know this will be one of the such things. But honestly, I do have people sending me stuff all the time, asking me to go and watch their film or to go and watch. Uh, this or please read their script or whatever and I simply I, I can't I don't have time to do that and here's the thing if I started picking and choosing some people that I did do that for then it would be fundamentally unfair to everybody else that I don't so well I appreciate you putting that and I'm going to leave this up here on the screen for a few extra seconds so if there's other people who want to go and check that out Jarrell that they can and I do appreciate you saying that and bravo to you to do some something creative and putting it up online man I appreciate that all right next up 50 shades of geek rights you don't need to apologize John, uh, you did an amazing thing, uh, and you should be uh, proud. Probably meant proud, proud of what you did. Uh, did you, you did your best, and you're still you still uh, married to the prom queen. I am still married to the prom queen. Uh, Sean Connery was wrong. You can have both. You can, and I I do appreciate that. I again, I I kind of dropped the ball a bit on our uh, on our fundraiser. 
and we probably could have made more money had I prepared properly, which I thought I did, but clearly I didn't. But I appreciate uh, the thoughts and I appreciate everybody uh, who did support nonetheless. And you guys did a lot, a lot of good. You guys did a lot, a lot of good. So thank you so much for that, 50 Shades. All right, next up, Nerd Errant writes, since the lockdown may last a few more weeks slash months, I feel you could do a three to four hour charity live stream every week or so. Uh, then you could still raise money, but keep your voice and health in better shape. Also, glad Rob is excited for space mutiny. <laughs> um, here's here's the thing, and this sounds weird, um, but but uh, but I do have to be honest about this. Um, I can't because, and I'm, I'm just I'm going to pull back the curtain a bit here and let you guys in on something. Um, but I, I simply can't do that, and the reason I can't do that is because I can't <laughs> afford that. Um, the reality is, um, and I didn't talk about this beforehand because I wanted you guys to contribute to the good cause, but the reality is that by doing that stream on Friday, I was unable to do the regular John Campy show on Friday. By not doing the regular John Campy show on Friday, um, we, the John Campy show YouTube channel made no revenue. Now, you got to understand that I have people to pay. I have uh, software licenses to pay. I have equipment to pay. I have rentals to pay. I have, there's a lot of finances that go into making the John Campus show run. Now I could do the John Campus show much more cheaply, but I believe in taking the money that people send in and using it to try to make the show a better viewing experience for our audience. So I'm constantly spending the money uh, on that, whether it's on people like like Ray and and uh, and Aaron and Jonathan and obviously Rob, who adds such quality here and great content and value for our viewers, uh, that I can't do that often. I can't, I can't, I swear I'm simply not going to be able to pay people. I can't do it that often. So, but I decided to do it the one day, say, you know, we'll give up, you know, generating our own revenue for a day so we can do this charity thing. And that worked. But I, I, I'm not in a position that I could do that every week. I just can't afford it. I would, I would go, I would either have to fire people or, you know, not pay our bills or, or something like that. And it's, it's unfortunate. I'm just not in a position that I can. Um, great idea in theory, Great idea in theory, and I encourage everybody on their own every day to go to find a good cause and, and donate to it yourselves, but it's not something that I can I can personally afford to do like on a weekly basis. Uh, maybe every once in a while, I can figure out a way to make it work, but it actually it actually costs me a lot of money <laughs> to do the fundraiser, uh, which is great because that's, that's what we're all here to do. You guys gave, I gave, we all gave, and that's the idea, and that's great. But I just, I can't afford to do it on a regular basis, unfortunately, Nerd Aaron. But thank you for the idea. I appreciate that. Um, okay. Next up, Thomas Dixon writes, uh, Campia, never apologize. Your content brings us so much joy on a daily basis. You sacrifice time with your wife on occasion to satisfy us. No one blames you for not finishing the 12-hour marathon episodes. Uh, just hold your head up high and keep talking movies. So I, I appreciate that, Thomas. What Thomas is referring to is that I, I boasted that we were going to do a 12-hour stream. We ended up doing a 7-hour stream. Um, and Rob, I th the main reason that happened, Rob, and, and this is the main reason it happened, is because... You know, when I set the goal, when I thought the goal was to raise a thousand dollars, I I felt confident we could get to a thousand dollars, but I felt like right. we would get X number of questions per hour, right? Like I thought we'd get ten questions per hour, 
Right. And that'll take us to over a thousand dollars. We may we take twelve questions per hour. And I was planning because I got my Nintendo Switch dock here. I was planning on playing some online poker and playing some some Animal Crossing, maybe play a little Mario Kart, what do a Netflix party stream, because I would only be having to answer like a question every five or ten minutes. And I thought at that pace, I can go twelve hours. If we're only answering X number of questions per hour. I can go 12 hours. Sure. The problem, and this is a great problem to have, is that our X number of questions per hour turned into X, 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 X number of questions per hour. And there was no time to stop and play because so many questions came in. And Rob, I'm not quite sure what the final number is. And I'm going to let you guys in on this. When we finished at seven hours, and you guys know I was pushing, I was getting through as many of those questions you guys, because you guys donated. I want to make sure you guys got your questions answered. We flew as fast and as hard as we could to get through them. And at the end of seven hours, true story, guys, and Rob, correct me if I'm wrong on this number. I took all the unused questions that we hadn't got around to, to put them into a document to make sure that we answer them in companion videos that Rob will be doing. Rob's going to let me give my voice a little bit of a break over this week. Rob's going to be doing the companion videos on those. If I'm not mistaken, after seven hours of answering questions, there was still 136 pages. Let me repeat that. 136 pages Hang on, I got it right up here. Uh, what is the, the actual number there? It's loading. It's loading up. Let's see. It's so big, uh, it takes a while to load. Yeah. But, well, the way it's formatted for me on this document, which could be different, is 134. Okay, pages. 134. I, John, to, to you've sent me companion videos to do before. Nothing comes close to this. <sighs> this this is the most epic. But remember, I mean, I could, depending on how this is formatted, I could make it, I could make it 160. It just, for me, the way it loaded up onto my. Right. So 134. So that's not 134 questions. It's 134 pages. So the problem was there was just Dude. far more questions to answer than I thought. And I couldn't take it easy and I couldn't take breaks and I couldn't do all that. And I just, after, after seven hours, after five and a half hours, I was almost done. Rob jumped in and saved the last hour and a half. So we were able to stretch that out to seven, but by seven, it was like i was done i, I love that some of these questions are like three parts too yeah <laughs> three parts i look at it i'm like it's not just one it's people and people were very you know you got to give it up for the uh for the viewers of this show because everybody was was so generous and and uh they really came through and i think that the charity that you picked was very much uh you know i keep reading how food banks and and are are just such a necessity now so you really Everybody should really pat themselves on the back because you picked a great charity and and uh, everybody here, they really stepped up, man. No, they did. And it's such a great like I'm sitting here whining, and complaining about it like a little bitch. The reality is it was a great problem to have. It's a great problem to have. Yeah. But I was clearly unprepared for it. And um, for for that volume, I was unprepared for that volume. Because it was like, remember, Rob, we were joking. You answered a question like you came in at, at, at hour five and a half. Right. Yeah. And yeah. you answered a question. And when you finished answering the question, remember, I said this to you on air. I said, hey, Rob, just just to give you some context and the time it took you to answer that question, six more questions came in. You know, remember that I was, it was crazy. 
uh, you asked me to come in at uh, we had talked about I would come in at four. I don't remember who contacted me. Somebody contacted me and said, you should go jump on to John's stream right now because he's dying. His voice is dying. And I'm like, OK, you know, because I didn't even know if you would be looking for me. Uh, at yeah. that time because we you came said in a half hour earlier than you were supposed to yeah and that was because somebody reached out and said you got to go you got to go help john out and i didn't know what was i didn't know what was going on i didn't know how how what you were doing or how well the stream was doing and you know i'm going to do the same i'm going to take a lead from you and i'm going to do the same thing for my 400th show on youtube you Excellent. know i did a, i did a 300 minute show for my 300th show so i'm gonna do a 400 minute show but i'm gonna try and create but i'm gonna do the same thing you know find a charity and do do what you did but i'm gonna have to pre-record interviews with people or something so i have segments to play so i can rest because after taking your lead and seeing i mean you gave it the herculean effort man it's it's like you didn't you didn't know no, <laughs> you know I... you didn't know you thought yeah i'll play some video games and play some poker but Wow, that was some crazy, and and that's it. Just speaks to the audience how great it they does. were and how stepped up, and and we will do uh, better. We will. We, I I will plan better next time. I will be more prepared uh, the next time we do something like that, and uh, we'll go on anyway. We still got a lot of questions to get you today, so yeah. let's let's keep on going here. Um, so thank you for that, Thomas. I I really appreciate that. I think that was Thomas, right? Um. Yes, that was Thomas. All right. Erkmos uh, uh, just sends in a tip to be supportive. Thank you, Erkmos. The Sock writes, been having symptoms related to COVID and have been admitted to hospital. So I've been going through Netflix and just saw that There Will Be Blood is on Netflix. Oh, I didn't realize that. I've never been wanting to watch it forever. I've been wanting to watch it forever because of your praise about it. Well, first of all, Sock, get well, man. Take it easy. Don't push yourself. Let your body do its thing and get through this. Follow all the doctor's orders, all that kind of stuff. Keep yourself quarantined, all the things you need to do. So best wishes to you on that. And yes, take advantage of the time, dude. Watch There Will Be Blood. I'm not saying it's the greatest movie of the past 20 years, but I think there is an argument to be made that it is the greatest male performance lead in any movie in history. Uh, I, I'm not saying that's an automatic. I think it, but I think it's in the debate. It's in the art. It's in the debate for the, the Daniel Day Lewis in that movie. To me, gave the greatest performance I've ever seen in a film. That's me. Uh, so, so you watch it and enjoy Sock, and let me know what you think. Uh, Sock also writes. Also, please don't beat yourself up too much about cutting your stream short. I can't doubt um, that it's disappointing, but you always give us the best show possible, and I think everyone knows that you try in earnest to see that. I appreciate. Thank you for the patience and understanding. But not only to you, but every every. A lot of people send me some very nice messages, and I, I it meant. I can't even begin to tell you how much that meant to me. It really does mean a lot. So thank you all for that, and thank you, Sock. And again, dude, take care of yourself and get well soon. Min Tran writes. In terms of the endgame sacrifice, yeah, Natasha wanted to sacrifice herself and basically did everything to make the sacrifice. In the end, Clint was the one who made the choice and let go of Natasha's hand, sacrificing her for the Soul Stone. Yeah, well, I've had a lot of people, Rob, write to me since since we were talking about that. I don't know. It's 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 <laughs> iffy. It's iffy. But they needed it to make the movie work. So so I'm with you on that. How are you feeling about that? Well, you know, they both loved each other. And I, and I think that that they were both trying to out sacrifice one another, and it, it was in a way the fact that they were willing to sacrifice themselves as opposed to sacrifice someone else. It's because they even that's how much they loved one another. So either way, I think they were covered. You know, the point I guess would be to prove what you are willing to sacrifice, and if you're willing to sacrifice yourself, wouldn't that be? 
I guess the ultimate. I mean, again, I don't know. I don't know how that all works, but I think the Soul Stone itself was satisfied. <laughs> no, <laughs> the and, Soul and Stone guess, is unique amongst the stones. Yes, and and the Red Skull. If the Red Skull was the final arbiter of who, you know, I, I it's funny because I think that scene that we've seen that they released online. I'd seen that before because I think it's on Disney Plus too. But it's a really cool scene. But it really isn't as personal as the one that they went with. I'm sure that they had – I would love to have been in the room where they were having the debate, like, we need to reshoot this and do this with just the two of them rather than have Thanos and his troops show up. But, uh, you know, uh, it's it's still a cool scene. But I love the fact that we're having this conversation, you know, yeah. that we're discussing and debating this because I think, I think there's cases to be made on both ends, both sides. All right, next up uh, comes to us from Dr. Pepez writes, Hey, John and Rob, I just saw No Country for Old Men. Oh, my, for the first time, and or for, for old men, for the first time, and I liked it a lot. The storytelling screenplay is unique and is unconventional. Tommy Lee Jones is fantastic, and Javier Bardem is amazing. Which Coen Brothers movies should I watch next? Rob, I feel like somebody just asked Ooh. us that recently. If you had to give them, and you're right, No Country, no Country for Old Men is fantastic. Javier Bardem, I believe, won the Academy Award for that. But what would you say is the next one, Cohen, one they should watch up next? I love Miller's Crossing. It's one of the unsung Cohen Brothers movies, but it's about gangsters, you know, in like I think the 20s or 30s. I love, I love Miller's Crossing. I love Raising Arizona. I love Blood Simple. Um, you know, I, they're just such. I love Inside Lewin Davis. I love A Serious Man. I'm a huge Cohen Brothers fan. Um, I. A film that everybody loved at first, but not a lot of people have talked talk about a lot since, is Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? So good. I love Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And you know what? It's a movie of theirs that a lot of people say is their least favorite, but I love. If if it is a it is a Coen Brothers movie, right? Uh, Tom Hanks's Lady Killers. Oh, yeah, dude. I love Lady... J.K. Simmons is in that. I personally love Lady Killers, but I know a lot of people don't even like that film at all. What do you no. think about it? I loved. I did too, and and uh, the, I think the Lady Killers. I mean, it's obviously it's a little over the top. I think. I think it's the tone that people might not respond to. I I feel the same way about the Hudsucker Proxy. Mm. That's another one of their films that a lot of people say, oh, you know, uh, it's not as good. But uh, I, you know, all of their movies, the characters and the filmmaking and the scripts, they're just. They're. I, I don't think I've seen a Coen Brothers movie. Sure, I like some other than. I like some more than others, but I, man, they're just incredible filmmakers. You, you can never go wrong with a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. All right. Next up, Dr. Pepsos writes, I also watched Vertigo for the first time and I loved it. Talk about changing genres. Wow. They say Parasite changes genres as it goes on, but this probably is the one that did it, the first one that did it. Which Hitchcock movie should I watch next? Uh, uh, rear, rear, well, rear window is North by Northwest is the one I often go to. Obviously, the original Psycho. Rob, what would you say to that? Rear window is my favorite uh, Hitchcock movie. I love it so much. And as a matter of fact, Grace Kelly in that movie is like if you fall in love with a a character in a movie that's like your perfect girl, perfect woman. Grace Kelly specifically in Rear Window is that person for me. Where where do you put Psycho? Because that's the one a lot of people always go to. Psycho is look. Psycho is great. Psycho is such a groundbreaking movie. But I think I see Psycho as an outlier in Hitchcock's career. Uh, it's sort of unique. It's a fantastic film, and it's certainly groundbreaking. And, and as far as the horror genre is concerned, but when I think Hitchcock, I think more To Catch a Thief, North by Northwest. 
you know, vertigo, rear window, rope, and then his earlier movies, The Lady Vanishes and The 39 Steps. But I think Psycho and The Birds are those are just two flat out horror movies and they're 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 great and they're unexpected. Uh, we got a little bit of a Alfred Hitchcock section in my documentary. We're going to be, but, but we'll, you know, there's a little teaser. We'll talk about that later. Uh, Ryan Loner writes, happy 104th birthday, Beverly Cleary. Uh, yes, she's eight months older than Kirk Douglas and still with us. I've, I'm going to admit, I'm not familiar with Beverly Cleary. She wrote well, the Ramona books, right? I think she wrote Ramona. Those books not, are the kids' uh, books. Oh, okay. Oh, the children's author. Yeah, the children's author. Author. Okay. Now, I don't think I ever re- read a Ramona book, but I've had them read to me. Ah, oh, there you go. That's nice. Um, it's nice that Elizabeth does that for you. All right. Next up. Oh, oh man. <laughs> Aaron. Aaron Comer writes. Hey, John. Hasbro. Uh, could Hasbro legally buy AMC theaters? Hasbro doesn't own a major movie studio, but it does lease its properties to Paramount and owns E1. Uh, I listen. There, the the laws and rules about studios being able to own theaters has become more relaxed uh, over the years. Hasbro can't afford AMC theaters. They can't afford it. And the reason studios don't want to get into the movie theater business because they know it is a razor thin margin business. You're probably going to lose money if you try to run it. And Rob, you know, one of the things I was going to say earlier is if anything, one of the things that's going to need to change with this AMC bankruptcy things is, look, the situation between studios and theaters has to fundamentally change. Because the the theaters are the places people actually go to watch the movies. They're right. the places responsible for movie the, movie studios making all the money that they make. But theaters barely hang on. They barely hang on. Like, I, I worked in AMC theaters for a while. I, I knew firsthand that there was a studio that it just barely hung on. There's a reason you can be the biggest you know movie theater chain in the world. And after one month of having to have the doors closed, they're in bankruptcy. It's razor thin. No, see, people say, oh, Disney should just buy them and all the blah, blah, blah. They don't want to be in that business. And if anything's come out of this, they've got to fundamentally change the operating relationship between studios and theaters with studios keeping such a huge amount of the money at the box office and theaters keeping so little of it. Something's got to happen. That puts and studios are going to have to bite the bullet on this because studios need the theaters up and running to make the money they make. And the the table scraps that that movie theaters get from them and barely see we walk into these places, Rob, and we see these these cathedrals of the movies, right? These giant, amazing movie theaters. And it creates the impression that, oh, this place is rolling in money. They're not. They're on a razor's edge. And just like like that, they could be gone. And if anything that this situation teaches us, I think that something fundamentally has to change in that relationship between theaters and uh and the studios themselves i don't know what, what would you say to that rob well look i i, I mean it like you said it's it's a tough business because obviously the theaters make more of their money from selling concessions than they do from their ticket sales yes and the studios need those ticket sales to justify the expenses i mean movies have only gotten more expensive and at the studio level they're making they're making spectacles now and there's a lot of money. They're spending a lot of money. I mean, if Disney's making 10 movies that cost 150 to $250 million a year, that's a lot of money. It's, a, it's borrowed money. they got to get it paid back. And 
maybe something will change, but I don't see that there's a, there's just, it's a rough business, man. It is a rough, rough business. And I don't know what can change and get better. I mean, this is, this is a storm that it's like when Catwoman said in Dark Knight Rises, there's a storm coming, Mr. Wayne. Uh, The storm is here for all movie theaters and the studios and everybody needs an umbrella at this point. So we'll see what's going to happen. But I'm <laughs> I'm curious as to what how they're going to work it all out. But I'm confident. Look, they'll figure it out. You know, the Coen brothers said something. I think it was on Deadline today that they said, look, we will weather this. We will get through it and we will get put 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 things. I mean, this is when the, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And I think Americans are best uh, in a crisis. We figure stuff out and we'll we will make all of this work. We will do that. All right. Uh, next one up comes to us from D Train, who writes the Schmozno crew uh, did a reunion show last week, and it was great. Yeah, I, ta- I had Christian Harloff on our stream this weekend, and I talked to him a little bit about him doing that. Um, so it got me thinking: Would you consider doing your own reunion show uh, for one day by bringing in Dennis and Amy Rose? I think that would be awesome, especially during these times. Uh, no, um, you know, I've you know, I said I've been really clear for myself uh, from the day that I left Collider was that. Because a lot of people ask me, oh, like when I remember, Rob, when I first left Collider, a lot of people asking me, oh, you should bring this person on. You should bring this person on. You should bring this person on. And like, I'm not I'm not looking to create AMC Movie Talk 3.0 or I'm not looking to recreate that. And I've always wanted to really put a lot of distance between myself. Now, that's not to say that I don't have some really good working chemistry with a couple of people like yourself or or Christian from time to time. And I, I had Dennis in here one day doing a one thing, but. When in doing that, I want to make sure to ever avoid. I'm not interested in personally in going backwards, and I want to avoid. Even when I bring in Dennis, I brought him in here, you know, one time. I'll, I'll have him again because he's Dennis Zen. He's one of the greats. Um, but I made sure not to do it with Dennis and other people who were part of something before, because I don't ever want to create the illusion or the impression that I'm going backwards and I'm trying to recreate now nah, I'm doing something new and I'm moving something forward you know Amy Rose is a filmmaker now and doing great stuff actually Anne just had breakfast with her like two weeks two or three weeks ago I think Anne went out with Amy Rose and had breakfast with her she's doing great stuff as a filmmaker which is what she always wanted to do uh, Dennis is producing some big stuff which is always great uh, and I would be so lucky but it's just that for me and what I'm doing I'm I'm not looking to recreate the good old days you know what i mean i'm trying to create something new moving forward and maybe that's right maybe that's wrong i I mean i don't know but it's just the philosophy i've chosen to adopt and um you know it's working for me and so that you know that works for me and doing it a different way works for other people and that's awesome but just this is the way that works for me that's all but thank you for the question d train i appreciate that uh kevin rubio uh of course Uh, A friend of Rob and mine uh, writes in, John, I've messaged you privately about this, but want to share with the film fans out there who may be craving sports to check out a YouTube channel, 3D Bot Maker, uh, Diecast Racing. Their latest (laughs) tournament is surprising, funny, entertaining, and full of drama. Rob, are you familiar with this? Oh, my God. It's one of my favorite YouTube channels. It's literally these dudes have built a giant mountain racetrack. And they're they're racing diecast Hot Wheels cars that are that are powered by gravity. They're going down a hill, but they do a play by play as if it's totally real, like as oh, if no. they're. And 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 they do they get like and they've they've done various like they'll pit Ferraris against one another or they'll do Mario Kart <laughs> Kart diecast things and it's they take it so seriously, and and you actually dude I get caught up 
in watching these cars. Like there was one day when I discovered this and I, I must have watched him for an hour and a half. Just the different races. It's it's hilarious. And you you do. You get caught up like, oh, I like that car. I hope it wins again. And sometimes they spin out. and it, it, It's hilarious. I love it. All right. So thanks to our friend Kevin Rubio for putting that recommendation in for everybody. And uh, everybody, you should probably go check that out. All right. Edgar Miranda sends in a $50 tip. Thank you so much for that, Edgar. And Edgar writes, uh, Hi, John. Big fan. Thank you for that, Edgar. I would love if you could take a look at my Star Wars video. We were just talking about this sort of thing. Uh, I would love if you could take a look at my Star Wars video uh, and let me know your thoughts on it. If doing this does not fit with the videos you post in your channel, no worries. Thanks anyway, Edgar. Well, Edgar, listen, first of all, uh, thank you for supporting the channel and all that. And I appreciate that deeply. And listen, I'm going to keep this up for a few extra seconds. So anybody else who's watching the show right now wants to take that URL right there and go and check out Edgar's Star Wars video, that would be great. But again, uh, as I said earlier in the show, um, the reality is if I start going to do that then everybody starts sending it and they already do and if i start looking at some people's instead of others then people get offended understandably uh so it's it's not something i can do but listen i'm going to keep this up for another couple of seconds so other people can check it out and, and go over and see it and good on you edgar for doing something creative and using your time to be creative and putting it online for other people to enjoy that's awesome so everybody you got a chance to give you five more seconds to make sure you take that uh, url down to go check it out and uh, there you go so thank you again Edgar and I appreciate that and I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of people that check out the video and uh, and hopefully they'll get to enjoy it as well alright Mr. 47 writes movie suggestion Wind River fantastic uh, gripping and hard hitting crime drama with great performances by Hawkeye Scarlet Witch and the Punisher watch it of course uh, John uh, 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 Bernthal has a small role in that film but Rob I will tell you what I came out of Wind River dumbfounded written and directed by the same dude who wrote um uh, uh the uh, chris pine hell or high water um it is and i was sh i was shocked when oscar time came around and there was so little mention of wind river i thought that movie was stupid good like yeah incredible performances you had a chance to watch it what do you think about it dude i i watched wind river twice on a plane i watched it like back to back <laughs> I loved it, and and it, it did nothing to stop my uh, enormous crush on Elizabeth Olsen, and uh, she was terrific as sort of a, a an agent out of her depth, and uh, I I just thought Jeremy Renner was terrific, and and the film, you could feel the atmosphere, you know, the cold, you could feel it as you watched the movie. It was so evocative. I mean, I was freezing cold as I watched that film. It was great, loved it. What did you think? I, I mean, the ending with the father character, too, was so deep and profound. Like, what would you tell people who would say, well, that's normally not the type of movie I would want to watch? How would you tell them why they should watch it? Well, because I think for that very reason, because yeah, on one hand, it's a crime thriller, but it also is a really interesting look at a part of America that you don't normally see life on a reservation and and. Uh, this kind of, you, you know, we're in this desolate area that you don't, it's almost like being on an alien planet in a way. You're seeing a glimpse of something that's part of our country that we just don't ever see. And I was fascinated by the whole thing. I mean, even the way law enforcement works, I, 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 I was really completely engrossed by it. And it packs an emotional wallop. I mean, it really... It, it it really gets under your skin, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. 
All right. Uh, next up, this one comes to us from Anthony Lucalano, who writes, The scene where Iron Giant says goodbye to Hogarth never fails uh, to make me shed a tear. Man, I love this movie. Hogarth, you are who you choose to be, the Iron Giant uh, dash uh, Superman. You know, Vin Diesel, a lot of people still don't realize that was Vin Diesel doing the voice of the Iron Giant, which could be Vin Diesel's greatest movie. I love Vin Diesel as well. But Rob, you know, a lot of people for a lot of years have been wanting a live action. Some people have been asking me lately about, don't you think it's time for a live action remake? And my answer to it was not a popular one, but it's like there's something about the medium of animation that really drew out the magic of the Iron Giant. And I'm just not sure that it works nearly as well in a live action environment as the magic that was able to capture in animation. What do you think about that? I, I think you might be right about that. Although I will say this, you know, there's a new Amazon series. It's not exactly like it, but Tales from the Loop, which is based on a series of paintings and a game by this Swedish artist, has an Iron Giant-esque feel to some of it. And I, that, that was the first thing I thought of when I watched it. It's not exactly the same, but it would take a really deft touch to make a live-action Iron Giant movie work as well as it did in animation. I agree with you. I think the medium is 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 part of the joy of that film, kind of like Wally, you know. Too. I I, I mean, people can say, well, it's it was more photorealistic or whatever, but but Wally, there there's there's something about. The, the animation medium that makes you love animate objects more, I think. Right. I mean, I mean, Wally's not inanimate. I shouldn't say it. Neither is the Iron Giant. But what I mean is, you know, you 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 machines. <laughs> you love those machines. I guess people could be like, well, Rob, what about Short Circuit? Number five's alive. You didn't you love Short Circuit? Well, I guess Johnny that's five. a good point. Johnny five, you know. Uh, I miss Short Circuit. Anyway, uh, Rob, we've kept you over time. We know you've got a lot of things you got to go and get to. Uh, so thank you so much for being here, as always. And, of course, we will see you back here again tomorrow. But in the meantime, Rob, where can people find you and all the glorious verisimilitude that you dispense to all the children around the world? You can find me, of course, on Twitter at BurnettRM. Find me on Instagram uh, at Robert Meyer Burnett. And find me on my own YouTube show uh, and, and the, my YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, and my show, Rob Observations. It's all blur now. <laughs> <laughs> all right, dude. Thanks a lot for being here, and I'll talk to you again tomorrow. All right. There, man. All right, guys. That was the one and the only Mr. Robert Meyer Burnett. We still have some time here, so let's keep on going through these questions. The next one up comes to us from Amir, who writes, one of two. Hey, guys. I just finished Picard. Oh, and we just, we just... We just part and Robert's gone. Too bad. We just departed with Robert. Uh, anyway, hey guys, I just finished watching Picard. I have to say I enjoyed it, but it wasn't the Star Trek I was expecting. I can enjoy something whilst accepting it's totally different from what I'm used to. That said, I think it was a weak story. Um, part two. Uh, the central idea didn't make sense to me, and I wish they would stop making the Borg meaningless. Uh, they're basically just a prop in this. Also, with the Borg search for perfection, surely they will now want to find this other super advanced civilization. Well, I, I for one, like the story. Now, did, did I like Picard as much as Next Generation? No, it, it didn't live up to that. But I found it to be a really nice, fun little show. And it was, while it was different from a lot of other Star Trek, Picard was definitely Picard. Failure is an incompetent teacher. I mean, that's such a Picard thing to say. We have powerful tools, hope, and optimism. That's such a Picard. I mean, it was so definitively Picard. It was so much him. Now, a lot of the other things going on around him changed a bit. It, it, yeah, and it, it did. But I, I tell you, I really enjoyed the series. 
I thought the series was, was quite good. Not as good as a lot of the other Star Trek stuff. I, I agree. but And it was kind of different. But I, I had a really good time with it. And I know Robert didn't. Uh, it is unfortunate he's not here to share his thoughts on that. But yeah, but I, I'm with you, Amir. I still enjoyed it nonetheless. All right. Dave XP writes, John, when a very cool scene happens to not be real in the context of the movie, does that take something away from it or you don't mind? Like Batman's fight in the desert or Twilight's big showdown. I think it depends. I was, listen, I'm not a big fan of the Twilight series. You all know that. But I did appreciate the final film. I, I, I'm not, I'm not, no, I'm a guy, so I'm not supposed to like anything Twilight no matter what. No, and I didn't like almost any of Twilight, but that last Twilight film, I got to admit, I, I saw a lot of upside to that movie and including the big twist because it made sense and fit in with everything, with, with the known powers of these individuals. It actually fit in. It wasn't like out of nowhere. And I guess I could take off the headphones now. It's not something that came out of nowhere. And it fit in with the narrative they were doing. And I actually kind of like that twist at the end of the final Twilight film. It feels weird to say that, but I did. Um, where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. So, but then there's things like, say, Kick-Ass. Not Kick-Ass, sorry. Uh, Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch, which is a very bad movie. And, and like, just knowing that all the cool stuff in the movie was 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 just in her imagination. And knowing that made it made it so i had there was no stakes in the movie the movie didn't have any stakes and you knew that the whole time you were watching it then all the cool stuff was just happening in her imagination and in her mind and so that took it away um so it, it depends there's not one solid answer to that dave that if it's not real it's not cool no it, it can be it all depends on the individual way that it's used much like any plot device right so there are some examples where it works really well. I thought the the nightmare scene at, for, with Batman was really kind of cool. And it spoke to the larger theme of the movie. So in that sense, I thought it worked really well. Then there are examples like Sucker Punch where it doesn't work really well. So it really depends from example to example. It's a great observation, Dave. All right, next up. Massive Jatter writes, um, so no chance of studio saving AMC. No, I think there's a chance. I think all the studios can get together and put together like a rescue package. I think the studios can get together and say, listen, we, have, we collectively, Universal, Paramount, Warner Brothers, uh, Disney, Lionsgate, Sony, on and on. We are collectively getting together and we are putting together a $500 million uh, rescue fund to inject into AMC theaters to give them positive cash flow so they can survive this and get back into profitability. That could still happen. But like the studios just coming in and buying AMC theaters, no, that, that won't happen. Uh, Jose Mias writes, uh, Bob Iger has returned as CEO for Disney. No, as we pointed out early in the show, he has not. Just be clear about that. No, he is not. He never left Disney. He's still the chairman of the board, but he did not return as CEO for Disney. Uh, Luke1234 writes, could you watch Return of the Jedi on mute and recite every line of dialogue? Yes, I could. Uh, as it would be said on screen, not just a scene or two, but the, oh yeah, I absolutely could. Oh, 1,000% I could. Uh, that, that would not be hard for me. Most movies, never. Even a lot of movies that I love dearly, never could I do that. But for the, the original Star Wars trilogy, in my sleep. Absolutely in my sleep. Uh, all right. Next up, uh, Amir writes, Hey guys, a movie recommendation, The Thomas Crown Affair with, with Pierce Brosnan. I really like that movie. And Rene Russo, 
I thought that was real. I'm surprised it didn't turn into a full-fledged franchise. Charming movie with a perfectly cast Pierce Brosnan. He's so good in this. Uh, great crime caper and easy to watch on a lazy afternoon. You won't regret it. Yeah, I good recommendation, Amir. I like that one. That's a nice, fun little movie. And they talked about rebooting it. I remember they talked a few years ago about doing a reboot of Thomas Crown Affair, and it never came to fruition. I'd be all for it. But uh, yeah, that original one was a lot of fun. Not one of the great all-time movies, but a nice, fun little movie. Jay Master writes in, Bob Iger has returned back as the CEO of Disney. No, again, no, he is not. Uh, that's misinformation. He has not. Uh, Anon Ayo Business writes, have you seen this short film called Rebooted? It's loosely based on one of the VFX skeletons and Jason and the Argonauts from 1963 and him realizing he doesn't belong in the new CGI world. It's only 12 minutes long and it's really darn good. I have not. But hold on a second. Let me bring up a rebooted short film. Uh, I'm, I'd be curious to watch that. Ooh, that looks really cool. I have not seen that, but I will get around to go and watching that. Um, I will get around and go back. I will watch that because that sounds like a really cool idea. Anything that ties back to the Jason Argonaut days sounds great. Thanks for the recommendation. Point that one out, Anon. I appreciate that. All right. Dave XP writes, in yesterday's episode of John Krasinski's Some Good News, he gave a not-so-subtle nod about playing a superhero. Just wondering if you saw that. No, I have not seen the newest edition. I saw the first two episodes. I haven't seen the third one. For those of you who don't know, John Krasinski is doing this great little thing from home. Really low budget. Just, just some good news. That's what it is. Just talking about things that will make you smile right now. I, the first two episodes were great. I have not seen the newest one. But now, now I'm even though I would have watched it anyway, now you got me really curious to see that, Dave XP. Thanks for sharing that, dude. All right. Uh, Tom Jermiver writes, uh, hey, John, can you please make the John Campius show uh, behind the scenes video? I am dying to see how it all works, especially the rotating camera to your left. Yes, uh, I am prepping to do to doing that. I am going to do a full studio tour video of uh, the John Campius show and uh, all the gear that goes into making it and my process and stuff like that. I am making that video. Uh, I'm just, you know, working out the details and when I have chance to pull it off and do it. But I am. I am I'm totally planning on making that video. So keep your eyes open for it. Uh, Tom also writes, also, are you enjoying Batwoman and Flash this season? Batwoman has well exceeded my expectations and in my opinion is currently the best Arrowverse show. I gave up on Batwoman after about three or four episodes. Uh, just and not that I hate on it, not hating on it at all. It just didn't work for me. That's all. Very simple. Just didn't work for me. Not hating on it at all. Nothing like that. I just I gave it a shot. Wasn't working. I have enjoyed this season of The Flash. Um, they they were in trouble there that that year they were doing with uh, Devoe. That year they had Devoe as the as the villain. That was very concerning. It just nothing about the show worked that year. And I thought this was the Flash going off the edge. But you know what? They rebounded, and I've been quite enjoying it. So, But again, not kept up with Batwoman because I, I just realized after a few episodes it wasn't a show that really appealed to me, and that's totally fine. It appeals to others, and that's great. All right, Star Wars Rocks writes, So, John, it looks like Bob Iger has taken back his old job at Disney again. This is why we do the show at the beginning. No, he didn't. He's just still there. He has always still been the chairman of the board, the executive chairman of the board. Uh, He's just kind of stepping up and kind of helping out a little bit more than he normally would, but he is not taking back his own position. Uh, All right. Uh, Edward Wells writes, Trolls World Tour is streaming. Have you checked it out? Uh, I have not yet, uh, but I heard it's not doing well. I actually heard a few people say the movie's not bad, which, by the way, I like the first Trolls movie. I was surprised. I thought it looked terrible. I like the first Trolls movie. I thought the first Trolls movie was pretty good. 
Um, but no, even though Anne wants to watch it, she actually suggested last night, hey, let's watch Trolls, but we ended up watching something else. Uh, no, we ended up playing more Animal Crossing. That's what we did last night. It's crazy how much Animal Crossing uh, is uh, on a screen in my house uh, so many hours of the day. Uh, Franklin Donahue writes, hey, John, hope you are well. I am well. Thank you so much. I know that you are a big fan of Weird Al. I am a huge fan of Weird Al. Uh, so I just wanted to mention to you that the Daily New York Times podcast did an episode yesterday about Al's life and his genius. It's a really good listen if you have an hour. Oh, I might have to do that. I have not one, but two Weird Al Yankovic pops. I love, and listen, I, I've told this story before, but it's 100% true. Okay, 100% true. I am not nervous of any celebrities. Right. I have seen Harrison Ford at, at a party and walked right up Mr. Ford and just, you know, talk to Harrison Ford. I have done that with everybody. The one person that I have and I've had like seven or eight opportunities that I've always been too ner- nervous and just too starstruck. This is hilarious to go up and talk to is Weird Al Yankovic. I've never been able to do it. And it's hilarious because like Anne knows this. Like Anne has been to a lot of functions where Weird Al has been there, and she goes like, "John, go meet Weird Al." I'm like, I, "I can't do it. I don't want to bother him. I don't want to bother the man." Like I just really, I'm just too scared. I'm too starstruck. I don't know why. By Weird Al, even to the point that there was this one world premiere. We were at. I can't remember which movie it was. Anne and Anne and I were at a world premiere, and it was in Hollywood. And then the after party was at this club across the street. And so we're coming out of the theater and walking across Hollywood Boulevard and we go start to go up this escalator and we realize that the person standing on the step right in front of me in the escalator is Weird Al. And Anne's like, John, talk to him. This is your chance. I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to. She goes, if you don't talk to him, I'm going to pull on his sleeve and introduce myself. I'm like, no, no, I can't do it. And I never did. Even though I've had a million opportunities to do it. Well, like seven. I've just been too scared to talk to him. Don't know why. Don't know why. I mean, I was at a, 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 a Margot Robbie event and I just walked up, talked to Margot Robbie. No problem with that. I couldn't, I can't do it with Weird Al Yankovic. Don't know why. Don't know why. Can't do it. Ah, uh, Weird Al. Um, okay. Let's see here. Where are we at? Uh, that was uh, Franklin Donahue. All right. Dan Ketchum writes, uh, with the delays, should CW skip the big crossover next year and just save a few little ones with a couple of characters like Flash and Black Lightning? No, I don't see how this... No, by next year, they'll be fine for next year. They'll be back up and running for next year. Listen, and I really want them to do another crossover because this year's crossover really disappointed me. Like, I, I, I haven't hid my opinions about that. I did not like Crisis on Infinite Earths. I thought it was garbage, to be honest with you. I thought it was pure garbage. Uh, there were a few highlight moments, but... Overall, I thought it was terrible compared to... And I've liked every single crossover they've ever done. But I was not happy with it, so I really want them to come back and do another one next year and redeem it. Um, Ryan Albanese writes, Quarantine, rewatched Amistad. Good on you. I I think Steven Spielberg's best film. And no one ever talks about it. I think it's his best film. Uh, My Best Friend's Wedding, one of the only movies ever to actually make me pure real cry in a movie romancing the stone michael douglas is a great one and escape from new york all for the first time this weekend all four were great i'm glad you had a chance to get caught up on those 
making lemonades, lemonade out of the lemons, using your time for some good use, getting cops some really fun movies. I like all those movies, and I'm glad you watched them, Ryan. I'm glad you enjoyed them. All right, KD501 writes, Watched Endgame for the sixth time now, and I just can't stop crying. Everything to Cap seeing Peggy, Thor and Tony seeing family, and the music. I'll tell you what. I put up on on my Twitter the other day uh, that this, the portal scene when Cap, you know, gets Mjolnir, and when Cap is about to fight, he's ready to fight Thanos and his whole army by himself. He tightens up the broken shield, and then he hears, on your left. Then you turn around, and you see everybody coming through, right? Man, I'm, you see the goosebumps on my arm and the hair standing up on my arm, man. And just mad. There's so many great, like, look, Endgame is not the perfect movie. I have a number of issues with Endgame. I do. I, I don't think Endgame is one of the top five best comic book movies ever made. I think it's great, but I, I don't have it in my top five. I just don't. But the moments that Endgame delivers, like portals, like the scenes that you're talking about, the moments that film delivers are just so exceptional and just bone chilling and hair on your arm standing up. It's just, it's just, they just got some great stuff in there. All right. Uh, Tom writes, do you think that now that CW is having a Superman show, they will finally treat him properly despite Supergirl being stronger than Clark? No, no, I Alex, listen, they, they already so soured me on their Superman. It, nothing against the, the dude playing him. Uh, not at all. It's the way they've written them, and uh, I, I'm not even going to give that show a chance. Personally, I'm, I just got too many other shows to watch that I am interested in. They've just soured the whole Superman thing for me, unfortunately. All right, Morbius writes, uh, one of two. First time Super Chat. Fans since the Infinity War spoiler discussion. Good to have you here, Morbius. Thanks for that. Uh, John, I love everything you do here. You're widely entertaining shows. Everyone you bring on, like Robert and Chris and Aaron, they're all great. I always love movies, but you've helped. Uh, me become an even bigger movie fan. Oh, dude, that's like the ultimate compliment. Thank you for that. I appreciate that, man. Uh, teach me so many things I never knew. I see you constantly prove you're an amazing, genuine guy uh, with with the charity stream. Don't worry. You raised more money than you planned. Uh, you're great. Keep it up. We're all here for you. Dude, well, listen, it's it's always awesome when somebody just to write it wants to write in just to say something kind so thank you so much for that and i do appreciate that very very much um and it is a great privilege of mine to be able to to do these shows and it's believe me i look forward to doing the show every day i do i i wake up and i'm just excited about doing the show every day and uh knowing that i get to interact with like fellow film fans members of the film fan community so it's always great so thank you morbius for the kind words man they they really do they mean more than i can tell you they I, I can't translate properly what it means to me, but it means a hell of a lot. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. All right. 50 Shades of Geek writes, I made a video of you and Christian. Uh, then Ben Rayner suggested I send it to you. Just want to know if you saw it and what do you think? I did see it. I saw this video pop up on uh, the John Campia. So our Patreon group, we have a Facebook page for all of our Patreon members. And uh, somebody popped it, it this video up. Um, just this weird montage of... Uh, me and Christian Harloff set to the music of uh, Greatest Showman. And it's really, it's quite funny. I, and I enjoyed it, Fifty Shades. I got a kick out of it. Thank you for sharing that. All right. Christopher Chow writes, Hey, John, fantastic job last Friday raising over 10K. Thank you for that. Now, what the final number will be, I'm not sure, because YouTube's going to take their cut. There's going to be some service fees here and there. I, I don't know. It's going to take 
two months before we find out what the total number is because it takes two months for YouTube to actually send the money uh, that uh, they collect. So we're going to have to wait and see. But but it was a big amount. So thank you to everybody for that. Uh, respect, brother. Your thoughts on Bob Iger taking back full control of Disney? Again, not true. Again, not true. Everybody just People started running wild with that and it just is not the case. He is simply helping out. He has always been the chairman of the board. Even when he relinquished the CEO title, he was still the chairman of the board. He was still Bob Chapek's boss. Uh, but Bob Chapek, as a CEO, is the guy who hands-on will run the day-to-day operations at Disney, and that's what he's doing. But Bob Iger has stepped in to help, but he has not taken back over full control of Disney. Uh, also, watch Eddie the Eagle last night. Great recommendation. Eddie the Eagle is great. Eddie the Eagle is wonderful. And I'm still a huge Jackman um, uh, Eggsy. It's just such a w- well-done movie, and I'm glad you saw it. And it just warms the, the cockles of your heart knowing it was a true story as well. I'm glad you had a chance to check that out. Uh, Mike Schwenk writes, John, your apologies is because uh, you want to under-promise and over-deliver. Look at your goal and what you raise. Never apologize for that. I Again, thank you for the kind words, man. I appreciate that. Thank you for the support. Uh, Mike also writes, Trivia. One thing in common between one of my favorite all time of all time and one of my favorites from last year, Perks of Being a Wallflower and Jojo Rabbit. <sighs> Ooh, that's a good question. What's the connective tissue there? I like both those movies very much. Huh. That's a good one, guys, in the chat. If you guys know what Mike's, the answer to the mic, that's a good question, man. Uh, Jump into the chat and leave your answer there. I did not know that. Uh, Matthew Melagrano writes, how much money did you raise? Well, again, before all the deductions come out and YouTube keeps its cut and whatever, it came to about 12,000. Now, we'll find out what the final, final number is. But before all those things, we got you guys took it to over $12,000, which was amazing. So thank you for that, everybody. All right. Ray Alexander writes, John, a little bit of uh, a little bit off subject today. Our aerospace company uh, laid off uh, all of our 300 plus contractors. So many people forget about the contractors who are not part of their employee numbers. I am sure this is the same with Disney and AMC. Love the show. Keep it up. Yeah, it's. It is a horrible time for a lot of people. Now, listen, on this show, we talk about it in light terms because we talk about it in terms of how it affects the movie industry because that's what we are here to talk about is the film community and all that kind of stuff and how it affects this. But, you know, that's not to, to turn a blind eye to the fact that beyond the world of movies, which is what we're here to talk about, but beyond the world of movies, it is a horrible time right now for a lot of people that, you know, when do we get to go back to the movies is the least of their worries, unless they're those people who work at the movie theaters and things like that. Obviously, it is. And I think it's something that's important for all of us to keep in mind um, and why we did what we did this past week with the uh, with the fundraiser. So, um, yeah, excellent. Uh, good to know, Ray. And you're right. Contractors don't aren't even counting those employee numbers and they are really struggling right now. A lot of them are. And that's something uh, well to keep in mind. Thank you for that. Murray Reich writes, do you think theaters like AMC will be bailed out by studios or are they doomed? Also, why has tenant, uh, hasn't tenant, we'll take one question at a time. Uh, uh, I think, uh, I, I do think that, listen, it might not be the studios that does it, but if it comes down to it, here's the thing. The studios know they need AMC theaters to be there. They need it. And if it comes down to it and nothing else saves them and other things may save them, 
but I believe, and I can't say this for fact, I'm just saying it's what I believe, that the studios in their own self-interests, not to be generous, in their own self-interests, they know they cannot have AMC theaters go under. They need them in existence. And worst case scenarios, they'll step in and bail them out. That's the worst case scenario. If somebody else doesn't first, I believe they will. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that turns out. Murray writes, I recently rewatched Sandlot. Such a you're killing me, Smalls. I love that movie. Uh, and I still love it. It may be a baseball movie, but it's more about friendship and the kind of guy Benny the Jet is who goes out of his way to do anything for his new friend Smalls. So many inspiring memories. And you know what? I don't, I'm not even a baseball fan. I don't like baseball. I love that movie. It's funny. That's the power of movies. Like, I'm not a baseball fan. But Field of Dreams, uh, Sandlot, The Natural. I mean, there's a lot of really great baseball. Bad News Bears, even if you want to go there. Uh, The Rookie. There's just some really, really, really good stuff there. And I think that's a testament, Murray, to how good those movies are. And you're right. Sandlot is absolutely one of the great uh, one of the great ones. All right. Um, Man of Many 44 writes, John, last week you said uh, Josiah Bartlett was the best fictional president. Absolutely. Blasphemy. The people's president will always be David Palmer. David Palmer in 24 was a great president, but it was very, very short lived. Um, but there have been many, many um, uh, polls done over the years about the, the greatest president. And they have always come comes back. Uh, Josiah Bartlett from the West Wing played by Charlie Sheen, or Martin Sheen, sorry, played by Martin Sheen. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's still mine. But I loved, loved uh, the David Palmer character in 24. I thought he was a great president. I thought he was a great uh, on-screen president. Absolutely. Dark Helmet just sends in a super chat to be supportive. Thank you, Dark Helmet. Uh, Louis uh, Dotson writes, what does the world without movie theaters look like? Bleak. Bleak. The studios cannot make the big blockbuster movies anymore because contrary to what some people erroneously think, people at home don't don't drop 20 or 50 bucks in mass um, to get a movie and stuff like that. And when they do, they have 15 people over to watch it. And so the, they're making tons less money. It's it's bleak. It means much the movies, the big blockbuster event movies will almost disappear. They'll almost disappear because they have no prayer of recouping the money they would need to justify those expensive films it's it's not a world that the movie studios want to live in uh he also writes uh what is the world of oh, same question so we got to that all right thanks for that louise murray reich writes soon we will look uh like wookies by the time the barbers open again you guys can tell this is not my normal hair i hate i hate, like i need a haircut so bad i need a haircut so bad it's painful guys it's absolutely painful yeah it's it's getting to that point that i am honestly tempted to uh drive over to my mother-in-law's get the clippers because the clippers are over there and I'm, I'm i'm not i'm not joking either i'm seriously considering the next couple of days just going and shaving my head i'm honestly thinking about it because it'll grow back it'll grow back in but right now it's just i hate 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 my head right now all right dark helmet just sends in a super chat to be supportive thank you dark helmet cecil cross writes imagine amc declaring bankruptcy like michael scott i declare bankruptcy that is one of the great moments one of the great moments in the office history it's like that's not how bankruptcy works michael it's one of the great moments he's long thanks for reminding me of that that's great james bonner writes uh i highly recommend a documentary based on the ghostbusters fandom group called ghost heads i've not heard of this it's a very thoughtful and affirming look at the positivity of fandom and how it can change people lives 
for the better. You know what? Let me bring this up here. Ghost head heads uh, documentary. Let me bring this up here so I can check this out later. Um, it's only got a six out of ten, but that's IMDb. Who cares what that writes? Uh, I will. I'm gonna at least check out the trailer of this. Thanks for putting that on my radar, man. I appreciate that, James. All right, Jay Meister twenty five writes. Uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake, seriously one of the greatest games I've ever played. Expectations completely blown out of the water. Matt Jones as Wedge is awesome. Here's my problem. I was all ready to download the game like yesterday, and then I looked up some quick reviews. You know what really bothered me? And maybe it shouldn't. They took out the turn-based combat system. And now, unless the people, the reviews I, I watched were wrong, they took out the turn-based combat system, which to me, that is like the fingerprint of Final Fantasy VII or of Final Fantasy in general. But then it just made it just another hack and slash. So I, I don't know. It kind of, again, I didn't play it. So I don't know. I'm just saying when I saw that in the reviews, that kind of turned me off a little bit. Uh, it it kind of turned me off a little bit. So I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. I might still get it. Um, we, I might still get it. But that really did turn me off because that that the turn-based combat system of Final Fantasy is such a part of the DNA of that game. So I don't know. We'll we'll see. I will. But I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. You you obviously love it. So that's good. Uh, let's see. NR99 and just the last couple of questions here, guys. So we're gonna have to wrap it up. Can you see John Favreau directing a comic book film again? Absolutely. Uh, if so, what particular character would he take on a spin? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You know me, ex director directing X film. I don't care. All I care about is as a good director directing a story. John Favreau is a great storyteller. So it doesn't matter if he's doing a Jungle Book movie, if he's doing a Star Wars project, or if he's doing a comic book movie. He'll do a good job. And you can put any character. You can give him any character. He'll make a good story out of it. So it really doesn't matter. But NR, yeah, I absolutely see John Favreau. He just loves the genre too much. I totally see him doing another comic book movie at some point. And maybe it'll be when Robert Downey Jr. comes back as Tony Stark. I don't know. But I believe he'll do one at some point. I really, really do. All right, Jeff Converse writes, Hey, John, what are your and Rob's thoughts on Band of Brothers? Like it very, Rob loves it. Like loves, loves, loves it. I was late to the party on Band of Brothers, actually, but I, I quite enjoy it. Uh, and the biggest question for John, did you get dusted since you are technically in the MCU? Love the show and keep up the great work. Uh, I tend to believe that I did not get dusted and that um, somehow, some way my character was responsible for the outcome and endgame. I can't justify that. I can't prove that. But that's what I'm guessing, Jeff, and that's what I'm holding on to. All right, an anonymous viewer writes in, during the coronavirus outbreak, remember to remain at least 10 feet away from others. If you're wondering how far that is, picture uh, a Bears wide receiver and then imagine where Trubisky actually threw the pass. That distance is about 10 feet. Ooh, you know what? I think Matt Trubisky gets a little bit of a bad rap. I think he, look, he's, a, he's, he's potentially a very dynamic quarterback, but he's got some problems with his fundamentals. But I, there's a lot of quarterbacks that have some deficiencies, and you can tell that's just the, a talent issue. It's not a coaching issue. I think Trubisky's, whatever deficiencies, deficiencies, deficiencies he has, I believe are fundamentals that can be coached. Um, and he might not even be the starting quarterback, by the way, this year. 
he might not be the starting quarterback of the Bears this year. So keep your eyes up. But that's nice little sports throw in there, Anonymous. All right, two more questions, then we got to wrap it up here, guys. We've already gone well over time, and my throat's given out. Uh, Eric Clausen writes, Hey, John, watch Train to Busan and the nice guys this weekend. Both fantastic. Thank you for the recommendations. Uh, where the heck were I when the movies came out? Well, Train to Busan, you can't get mad at yourself for that one because, that again, it was a Korean film not playing in a theater near you. It kind of flew under the radar. You're more than forgiven if you didn't catch that one when it, it first came out. You got caught up on it, though, Eric, and that's the important thing. Great little zombie film, and I'm tired of zombie movies, but Train to Busan was a lot of fun. Um, as far as The Nice Guys, The Nice Guys is the poster child um, of great, fantastic, original films that people just don't support. Nice Guys was marvelous. Shane Black, uh, I believe, wrote and directed it. Um, Russell Crowe, who's my favorite actor, uh, Ryan Gosling, fan-effing-tastic movie. On every level, fantastic movie. Um, but nobody saw it. It's really too bad. So I'm so glad, Eric, that you uh, caught up on that and checked it out. All right, NKS432 writes, what about uh, Annihilus as the next big MCU bad guy? I mean, uh, but again, it comes down to the same thing. I was. It doesn't matter who you make the next big bad guy. It doesn't matter. Like I said, you can make Ray Park's Toad from the first X-Men as the next big bad guy. If you write it correctly and you write it well, it'll be, the, it'll be he'd be better than Thanos. Or... You can take Doctor Doom, who's arguably one of the greatest villains in the history of Marvel comic books. They used him three times, and it's been terrible every time. Because it doesn't matter which character you pick. All that matters is the execution of how well you write him and fit the, that character into the story. And it's all about execution. It's all about execution. So sure, Annihilus is a possibility. Kang is a possibility. Uh, you know, Galactus is a possibility. Um, Onslaught is a possibility. Uh, wouldn't that be a great introduction? Onslaught. They never even heard of the X-Men. Turns out they've, they've got this mega creature who's a combination of Magneto and Charles Xavier in Onslaught. I mean, that's a possibility. A lot of possibilities. So sure, why not? All right, Michael G. Scott. And this will be the final one, guys. And we'll have to... And sends in a $50 super chat. Thank you so much for the support, um, uh, Michael. I appreciate that. Hi, John. I know you're not particular about having a set actor in a role, but I love Nathan Fillion as Nathan Drake. I think we can get a trilogy with him as older Drake. RDJ was 43 when he started his role as Iron Man. Can you make a case for Nathan? No. I really can't. And I love Nathan Fillion. This dude's a good Canadian kid. Um, I watch his new show, The Rookie, regularly. I, I really, really like that show. Nathan Fillion is a can-do-no-wrong type of guy, and I got a big kick. I got a big kick out of his uh, fan film, uh, the, the little Nathan Drake fan film, uh, Uncharted fan film they did. I thought it was really fun. He had Stephen Lang in there as well. A lot of fun. But no. No. I mean, he's about to turn 50, um, see, with Tony Stark, it's a very different character. Tony Stark is a dude who's in an iron suit, and the iron suit does all the magic. It's not him. It's the iron suit that does all the magic, right? And Nathan Fillion's a different thing. And you can't start. You can't do, uh, you know, an eight-year-long trilogy, which is probably how long it would take to flush out a trilogy, about eight years, and, you know, get to your last one where Nathan Drake's about to turn 60, 
it would have been really cool or great if they had started it 10 years ago. But I think they just waited too long. Now, if you wanted to just do a single one-shot Uncharted movie and you wanted Nathan Fillion in there, sure. But that's not how studios think. They think in terms of, can we create a franchise out of this? And remember, you do not base your movie on the actor. The actor is there to serve the character. The characters are not there to serve the actors. The important thing is not the actor. And when they made Iron Man, the important thing wasn't Robert Downey Jr. The important thing was Iron Man. Now, Iron Michael, or Michael Scott, um, Robert Downey Jr. became integral, my voice is starting to go, uh, to the character over time, yes, but you don't, you don't build the character around the actor. The actor is there to serve the character. So I love Nathan Fillion. I am all on board that Nathan Fillion fan train. I am absolutely all on board it. But no, no, the, the fact of the matter is, it was just too old to start a franchise Again, if they were going to do a one-shot movie, and that's it, just do one Uncharted movie, period. And that was the plan? Okay, yeah. I think you can. I think Nathan Fillion is still the right age that you could do that. But he's not the right age that you can start a new franchise with him. Especially where he, the guy, not some magic iron suit, is doing all the action and everything. I, I just felt like it wasn't, it wouldn't have been the right, it wouldn't have been the right time to do it. And again, you don't make your movies based on who the actor is. The actors you bring in later to serve the characters. And I don't think Nathan Fillion is the right fit anymore. But he's, a, he's the right fit for a ton of other stuff. And I still love him. And I still support him in a ton of other stuff. But I don't think he would have been right for this. That's, that's just my thing. But listen, Michael. Since you sent in a $50 Super Chat, we're going to make yours its own standalone question and its own standalone video as well. Keep your eyes open for that. All right, guys, we've gone way over time here. My, my throat is almost gone, so I got to wrap it up here. Guys, thank you so much for being here and making this a part of your day. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the John Campus Show. Listen, for everybody else who still has questions yet to come in, from Eduardo, Chris, uh, Murray, Nick, De uh, Dark, uh, all the way on up, all your questions are getting answered in a companion video today, so keep your eyes open for that a little bit later this afternoon, and you will see your questions answered properly in this video. Uh, don't forget, guys, make sure you click like, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. Also, don't forget, there is now the John Campia Show podcast version. If you want to listen to this show in its audio-only form, go to your favorite podcasting service of choice and just search for the John Campia Show. You'll find it. It is now available to everybody, so thank you everybody for that that will do it for now for me guys thank you so much for being here my name is john campia and until next time my friends bye bye